What's going on, fellow A-plusers? It's your host, Adam Perez, back once again with a brand new episode of A-plus Hero Report, your weekly stop for your Marvel, DC, television, and movie news, streaming for you guys live today over on our YouTube page. You can also catch us over on Facebook Live, as well as Twitch for you gamers out there. And of course, once we're done with all these videos uh, for today, we'll, we, we will go ahead and post them up on Spotify or wherever you certainly listen to all your audio podcasts. Um, so thank you so much for joining us guys we got a stack show for you guys honorable mentions live viewer questions six main topics as we get into some fantastic four rumors as more casting is certainly creeping up on us we even got a scathing article from vulture.com in regards to rotten tomatoes definitely something to be aware of as uh, along with the last of us director craig mazin discussing a brand new pirates of the caribbean film along with much more guys so let's go ahead and get into today's episode <laughs> What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back once and all to another episode of A Plus Hero Report. What's going on, Stuart? Good to see you here today, buddy. Good to be here. Not much uh, going on with me. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I feel like um, I'm hope hopefully the uh, this isn't dragging uh, too much. I, I got my internet and stuff in, so hopefully we're not. Um, uh, a little bit behind, but uh, hopefully everything stays together for today's episode. Last week we had to do two parts for oh, episode yeah. for A Plus Hero Report, so it definitely um, threw us off a little bit in that regards. But um, uh, we'll see how today's episode should go. Um, even though it's just the two of us right now, I believe Indy might be joining us a little bit later. Um, so we'll definitely see if he can certainly do so. But um, what's going on, buddy? How's um, how's your um, how's your week been? Uh, it's been a pretty relaxing week. I had a, uh, basically I took a week off from work, but I didn't go anywhere. I just had like a nice staycation, which uh, I feel oh, like nice. I kind of needed after like the last couple months with uh, not only Barbenheimer, but just like, we've just been doing really good at the theater, like getting nice. a lot of business, which has been great, especially because, you know, we get paid by, with uh, tips as well. So like my paychecks have been looking really nice, but I just needed a little a little break after that so i had like a really nice relaxing week off and now i'm ready to get back to work on tuesday <laughs> awesome man i'm glad to glad to hear that you got some uh some r and r for yourselves every once in a while a good staycation ain't too bad uh as much as i would love to do some traveling there's nothing like having a couple days off and being able to just chill at home and relax you know what i mean oh yeah and then uh also uh you know playing some Baldur's gate while doing so also helps <laughs> I dig it, man. I dig it. Um, I don't know why, but like I could hear you perfectly fine on my end, but it does feel like visually your thing is lagging a little bit. I don't know if you want to pop out of the studio, pop back in real quick. I don't know hmm. if you want to do that. Yeah, I'll try that. Does real it look quick. okay for you? Yeah, I guess I'll certainly check it out um, and figure that out. I don't know. It was just kind of lagging on my end. I don't know if that was just for me or if you guys noticed that at all. Um, let me go ahead and give you um, some uh, live chats for those of you who are in the live chat. Um, let's give some shout outs going on today. We got uh, Enrique Perez in the house. He said, I just saw the new trailer for some upcoming films. Uh, Chicken Run 2, um, Spy Kids Armageddon. Yeah, they did drop that this week. A brand with a new TV spot for Haunted Mansion 2023. Yeah, we did get our 
ourselves a couple of uh, trailers this week that we're definitely going to be diving into for you guys. Uh, Blossom is certainly in the house. Ram Jam is definitely here. Good old Frankie certainly coming through as well. Uh, Marcelino says, uh, Stuart wasn't lagging for me. So I guess it definitely is working for some people. But I uh, definitely had a little bit of a hiccup here on my end. So keep doing what you're doing, Stuart. Uh, awesome. Apparently, yeah, apparently it's working just fine. I was going to be mad because I got like I got this giant Ethernet cord that uh, cost me. I don't remember how much I spent on it, but it's been working so far. So I'd be I'd be a bit disappointed if it started letting me down now. Yeah, I hear you perfectly fine. I just don't know why there's like a one second, one, two second delay on my end uh, visually. But it's OK. As long as it's you're working for everybody else, that's all that matters, man. Um, but listen, guys, if you're in the live chat, as we go through these comments, uh, feel free to throw in your thoughts if you'd like. Uh, we definitely would love to have discussion with you guys, hear your guys' opinions. At the end of the day, these are just simply our A-plus opinions, but we love certainly hearing from you guys. Um, Kita, what's up, Kita? Hello from Tokyo. Look at that. We got an international superstar here with us today. Uh, what's up, Kita? Definitely good to... Um, Certainly see you here with us today as well. Um, again, I believe Indy should be joining us a little bit later, but we'll definitely keep you guys posted. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other announcements. Um, listen, if you want to support the channel monetarily, we definitely would certainly appreciate that. Uh, we do have super chats available for you guys, super stickers and things like that. If you do do a super chat, we'll certainly stop what we're doing. We'll bring your comment up. We'll address you first and foremost. Make sure that you get the airtime that you certainly deserve. Uh, and everything that you support, uh, send to us to go ahead and support the channel definitely does go to upping our production value and much more. Uh, and if you can't support us monetarily, it's more than fine. You can help us out in a free way by hitting that like button, subscribing to the channel, sharing these videos and things like that. It definitely does go a long way, guys. But um, Stuart, are you ready to get into some uh, honorable mentions for me? Hell yeah. Let's do it, man. Um, I guess let's, um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to check out some new trailers this week. I feel like looking at the Facebook page, we posted a ton of trailers over there. There was even a brand new exorcist trailer. Um, I think we highlighted the teaser trailer a, a week or so ago, um, but they did go ahead and drop a brand new one. If you haven't had the opportunity to check it out, it is on our Facebook page. Uh, but there are a couple of other ones that I wanted to highlight real quick. First of those being the Monarch trailer. Um, we did get ourselves a brand new uh, official trailer here. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to check this one out for yourself, Stuart, but I really dug this one. Um, again, all these uh, trailers are on our Facebook page if you want to go ahead and check them out for yourself. Um, I absolutely love this trailer. Um, it definitely got me hyped getting the opportunity to see your returning uh, Kurt Russell in here. I love the fact that uh, him and his son are playing the same character that just like generations apart. Um, it, it really works for me in here. And I think this trailer does a really good job of sort of setting up the time period in which this takes place. Uh, we get to see uh, San Francisco that's been destroyed. Sorry, Stuart. Um, so this definitely picks up after the Godzilla movie, uh, the first one with Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, but definitely between uh, the second one, King of the Monsters. So I'm under the impression just hearing how Kurt Russell's character is talking about, he's probably picking up where or it feels very much like he's picking up from where the John Goodman character sort of maybe left off at from Skull Island. We even get to see a cameo from John Goodman in here as his character from Skull Island, which I thought was actually really cool. Uh, just continuing to show those connective 
pieces and connective tissues that this particular series is really going to be when it comes to the movies themselves. So that's kind of the impression that I'm getting him kind of building up with this knowledge of these monsters, the secret organization uh, behind the shadows with everything that's kind of going on with all these monsters. But visually, it looks great. And while I personally don't have um, uh, Apple TV, Stuart, if there is any show that might actually make me get Apple TV, believe it or not, it may be a monarch here, Legacy of the Monsters. But have you had an opportunity to check out the new trailer? And if 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 so, what did you think of it? Yeah, I uh, saw the new trailer, really enjoy it. So I like that we're getting kind of the origin story with Monarch. Uh, and then also uh, kind of, yeah, it looks like they're kind of telling you where they were, like in between the events of, uh, of uh, Godzilla and then uh, King of the Monsters. So uh, interesting time period. So it also gives them an excuse to, I guess, like, I, I'm assuming we're going to get new monsters uh, introduced into the show as well. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, visually it looks incredible, uh, especially that last shot we get of Godzilla at the end. Like, oh, yeah. it surprises me that we can now pull a pull off effects like this in a TV show and not just like <laughs> movies anymore. <laughs> I know it's almost equivalent these days. Uh, well, look, the amount of money that they're spending on these television shows is that of like movie budgets. Um, so they're definitely putting all their chips on a lot of these series. But you're right. I do think we're going to get introduced to some brand new um, uh, monsters in here. There's a cool shot of like a winged monster flying over a forest real quick. Um, so I'm assuming this is the time period in which they kind of discover them. Because when we do get into King of the Monsters, they already have like labs that are set up that have found like these monsters still chilling in their cocoons and things like that so i guess if anything it would be interesting to see like what creatures have awoken since that time between uh, king of the monsters and the the godzilla movie so um yeah man i'm i'm really looking forward to this and uh, look the russells i don't think you could go wrong with them as actors so i think they're definitely going to carry this uh, to this show so i'm looking forward to it um another trailer that we wind up getting castlevania nocturne um, this is going to be the sequel to the um, Castlevania animated series. Uh, this one following Richter Belmont. Um, I got to say, Stuart, um, and maybe you might be able to give more insight into this series. Um, you know, while I watched the first season of Castlevania uh, on Netflix, I'd never finished the series. I think they maybe had, what, two or three more additional seasons, maybe two more. Um, so I never finished that story on Netflix, but I was always impressed with the first season. I'm, it's a, it's a bummer. I never went back to visit it, but I got to tell you, man, I went and watched this Castlevania Nocturne trailer today. Um, it's been up for a few days now. It's got like 1.3, 1.4 million views. So people are definitely checking this out, but I got to tell you, I think if there's anything that really stood out to me, I don't know if this is the same animation, um, company that did the first castlevania but man the animation looks stunning in here i mean it looks unbelievable um the action pieces uh look absolutely remarkable i love the accent for belmont i love his attitude um this looks like this is going to be a pretty intense uh pretty intense um, show for sure as this one i believe is adapted from another castlevania video game uh, but i'm not too familiar exactly as to which one but um i believe this is in fact a sequel to the uh, other castlevania series we got on netflix so this uh, looks like it's building up a lot of momentum it looks great i don't know what's going on but it looks great um something i certainly would be interested in but um, what about you Stuart? Oh, I think you're muted. 
Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to uh, check out the trailer fully, but uh, yeah, from the bits and pieces that I'm looking at right now, definitely the animation looks incredibly clean. Um, it does look like the uh, same art style that I remember That's from the right. original art uh, from the original anime, but like improved basically it looks like it's the same art style but like with like uh, i don't know if the animation budget has just gotten higher or if the animators themselves have just gotten more and more confident not that the animation was bad in the original show it was great but yeah to see them improve this much is uh pretty amazing um but yeah like you i never got past the first season of castlevania uh but this is kind of making me want to go back and watch it, <laughs> it so really I can is. watch the show. <laughs> it really is, though. It really is. Um, Marcelino says we're missing out on a lot of great things in Castlevania. I I believe you. I I trust me. I believe you. Um, there's nothing in season one that made me say, "Oh, I shouldn't finish this." I just think I just got sidetracked with so many other uh, <laughs> shows and things that I never just revisited it. But um, it is definitely one I certainly plan on checking out. But if you haven't had the opportunity to check it out, guys, Castlevania Nocturne. Um, great new trailer uh, that's currently up and then um we also got a gen v trailer here this week um i don't know if you got the opportunity to check this one out Stuart, but um i gotta tell you man i continue to get more and more fascinated with this uh particular series you know after watching this trailer um there definitely is something going on here it, I, i'm kind of under the impression that while these students definitely do come to this college and this school uh in order to make a name for themselves and um, get some sponsorships i would assume and maybe graduate to a particular city they got to protect it feels very my hero academia just on steroids and like you know a hard r and c17 kind of stuff but um it, it looks as very it feels very much as though there is something going on behind the scenes here that like the uh, the organization or a group are kidnapping maybe some of these kids maybe doing experiments on them um clearly one of the students in here does not want to go back to wherever they certainly came from uh with experiments being done on them so um, whether or not people are trying to turn some of these people into super villains um or you know taking advantage of them and their powers that i'm not sure about but the mystery looks pretty intriguing uh, and I'm sure when you got millions of dollars being pumped into this uh, Godolkin University, I'm sure some evil shit's going on uh, behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. The action looks there. Uh, the the special effects look relatively good. We get to see more of um, the main character that shoots out blood. There's even somebody that's got like a sonic scream in here. Somebody's got like laser eyes that like sh shoot somebody in half, sort of thing. I mean, you're definitely gonna get your bloody violence and some really cool superhero abilities. But um, I'm kind of digging this one. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see it. Have you, Stuart? I have, yeah, and I'm kind of on the same page as you. Uh, I think when when the show was announced, uh, my my one worry was that it would be a spinoff that was just made for fun and not really have that much like mm -hmm. uh, like care put into it, like the like the like the uh, original show, but. Um, it looks very consistent in terms of like tone with the original. Uh, and then I also like how it seems to kind of uh, continue the story of the original by uh, having some of the characters from the, uh, from uh, the boys coming into this series. Uh, you know, I don't know how big their roles are going to be, but it looks like it's big enough to, you know, uh, have an effect on the plot. Uh, so I did like the, the couple of cameos that we got in the trailer. And then, yeah, I just, um, the overall like action that we got in it uh and you know the violence it looks very much it it's like you can just take a any shot from that uh out of context and immediately you're you're just gonna know oh that must be the boys <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's even a really, there's another cool shot in here. And I remember seeing this picture, but I didn't know where it was from of this girl, like just completely soaked in blood. And they come to find out in this trailer, like she's somebody that can shrink miniature. And I just see her coming out of somebody's ear canal, like this dead body that's on the ground. She's just like coming through the blood out of somebody's ear canal. So a really cool shot. I love how they did it, though. But yeah, man, it, it's um, visually it's uh, pretty stunning. See, now that I know how unhinged the show can really get, uh, especially with shrinking powers from, uh, you know, the previous <laughs> season, I'm definitely excited to see what they do with her in this show. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, they talk about like some of the deaths in here is like so gnarly that like if you thought the boys that like the last season of the guy going up, you know, into the guy's body and then enlarging, like if you thought that was <laughs> intense and like just over the top, apparently there's much more for us in store in this series that I, I can't even wrap my head around, honestly. It's like they're it's like they wanted to cover both Thanos theories because, you know, the first one, of <laughs> course, and then in this one, it's the ear because that was the other argument people were making. Well, Ant-Man would just have to jump through Thanos's ear. It'd be easy. <laughs> yeah, man, they're definitely bringing them all to uh, reality, testing these theories out for sure. Um, but some great trailers, man. Uh, again, there's also another like uh, Exorcist, the Believer trailer on the Facebook page if you haven't done so. Um, yeah, there was a Spy Kids Armageddon trailer as well. Uh, so a ton of trailers um, to sort certainly get into um did you have I, I do have one more honorable mention store but did you have any honorable mentions here this week also or not uh nope not this week okay um uh one of the uh the last honorable mention before we get into our main topics then um the wga uh you know the strikes certainly continue for the unions wg uh wga along with sag aftra um they recently released a statement as negotiations i want to say negotiations kind of picked up again briefly and then quickly kind of fell apart once again i don't know if they're still meeting behind the scenes and keeping them close but wga released a statement here this week and we'll bring it up and sort of read it for you guys um that was pretty fascinating Stuart. that they're implying that the group that they're negotiating with the amptp which is sort of like i guess if you were to look at like a union for the studios that's probably them right like the streaming services and studios use the ampt sort of as their umbrella for negotiating well the wga believes there might be cracks in the AMPTP, suggesting the idea that maybe some studios are willing to negotiate, but maybe others aren't. Uh, and maybe this is what's kind of keeping things back. Uh, I do want to read this as briefly as I can, but it says, Dear members, we know that people are anxious for information about the status of the negotiation and how difficult it can be to stay strong during periods of silence, which is only exacerbated by the company's attempt, uh, recent attempts to make an end run around the negotiating committee and confuse the narrative. What follows is an update on where we are and how we got here. We share things we have not shared up until now, including conversations with individual executives that illustrate how some of the companies can already see a path toward making a deal while other members are not there yet. It says in the 130 days since the strike began, the AMPT has only offered one proposal to the WGA, which was on August 11th. Since then, the companies have not moved off that proposal, even though the WGA in turn presented our own counterproposal to the AMPT on August 15th. So they've all given a proposal. 
The current standstill is not a sign of the company's power, but of AMPTP uh, paralysis. It says the studios and streamers bargaining together through AMPTP have disparate business models and interests, as well as different histories and relationships with unions. They are competitors in all respects, except when they band together to deal with Hollywood labor. Through the AMPTP, these legacy studios and streamers negotiate as a united front, which allows hardliners to dictate the course of action for all the companies. The AMPT purports to present all of these desperate corporate interests, but in practice administers a system that favors inflexibility over compromise and sacrifices the interest of individual companies in reaching a deal. That regression to the hardest line has produced the first stimulus strike since 1960. Um, it also goes on to say here that um, for on the second page, it says, um, in contrast, during the individual conversations with legacy studio executives in the weeks since sag after went on strike, we have heard both the desire and willingness to negotiate an agreement that adequately addresses writers' issues. One executive said that they had reviewed our proposal, and though they did not commit to a specific deal, said our proposal would not affect their company's bottom line and that they recognized they must give more than usual to settle this negotiation. Another said they needed a deal badly. The same executives and others have said that they are willing to negotiate on proposals that the AMPTP has presented to the public as deal breakers. On every single issue we are asking for, we have had at least one legacy studio executive tell us that they could accommodate us. So while, it in, while the AMPT structure is impending progress, these behind-the-scenes conversations demonstrate there is a fair deal to be made that addresses our issues. Given the outsized economic impact on the strikes on the legacy companies, their individual studio interests in making a deal isn't surprising. Warner Brothers confirmed this in a public financial filing just this week. We have made it clear that we will negotiate with one or more of the major studios outside of the confines of the AMPTP to establish a new WGA deal. There is no requirement that the companies negotiate through AMPTP. So if the economic dis dis the destabilization of their own companies isn't enough to cause a studio or two or three to either assert their own self-interest inside the AMPT or to break away from the broken model. Perhaps Wall Street will finally make them do it. Um, so I find this really interesting here, Stuart. This is very much uh, implying, one, um, those in charge of the WGA, that clearly they have spoken to individual studio executives, and different studios have very much been open to the idea of sort of making the deal. Maybe not the specific deal that WGA certainly wants, but the ability to negotiate and actually sit at a table and allow these negotiations to at least continue until something comes uh, comes ahead, whereas they're definitely very much implying that despite that, despite what the studios certainly want, them being all under the same umbrella of AMPTP, that there may be some 
other forces behind the scenes, maybe other studios, maybe streaming services, perhaps, that have different sort of values and interests um, that maybe this deal isn't working for. And for those that it's not working for, clearly AMPT is like, we're not having a deal, despite some studios clearly wanting one here. Um, how do you take all this, Stuart? Um... Yeah, it, it does sound like it may be like a majority of the people that are like part of the studios actually do want to negotiate. But unfortunately, <laughs> you get kind of the loud ones that are probably the more powerful ones, cough, cough, Disney, uh, mm -hmm. that are probably the like if I had to guess if it was any studio out there that was trying to convince the other studios not to give in, it would probably be Disney with Warner you Brothers so, being huh? a close second with David Zaslav. Um but it's yeah i can't obviously i'm not going to say that like it's a fact like i i don't know obviously but yeah it does it it is weird that the studios themselves have their own like kind of like union together because if anyone doesn't need to have a union it's like you know head studio ceo so to me it's weird that this isn't being held like there this isn't being dealt with individually by different studios willing to uh you know compromise like like, I don't know if, if, if I was like the head of a studio and I was willing to give what the actors, what they wanted, I just really wanted them to go back to work because now our company is losing a lot of money. I would be pissed if the reason I couldn't do that was because other studios were saying, no, no, you'll look weak or something yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah that, I would hate it. that's very frustrating. Like, and to see, to see that, like, yeah, there might be studios willing to compromise, but then, you know, you have other studios kind of screwing them over because they don't want to hurt their own ego. And I was hearing that like something, somebody like a, like A24, um, I think was in the process of making deals um, with the WGA or maybe even SAG sort of thing. Like it would not surprise me if eventually we do get studios that kind of separate from AMPTP and decide to actually sit down with them and start making some deals um, individually, because I'm under the impression that A24 may be able to get writers and maybe even some actors in front of cameras and production started relatively sooner than maybe other companies um, if, uh, if they're not willing to kind of step up. So I'm glad that the WGA kind of called the AMPTP out on this. If I had to, if I had to guess as to maybe who the culprit is in regards to like a company or a studio that is really holding other people back from doing this. For some reason, I like when you say Warner Brothers, when you say Disney and then maybe Warner Brothers, my first thought is Netflix. Oh, I go Netflix. I, yeah. I, go I go straight for the streaming service guy. Uh, and I, there's a part of me that wonders if like Netflix is just like, look, we're so committed to not giving out our metrics. We're so like, determined to work on this AI thing that we just don't want to kind of budge. They feel like they, to me, it feels like they would probably be the ones that wouldn't want to budge on anything. But I do find it interesting that maybe there are cracks in the armor. Do you think that this might mean we get um, some sort of deal before the end of the year? I hope so. Um, God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't say for sure, but uh, I'm really hoping uh, by the end of the year, because yeah, like you said, to show some cracks are showing. So um hopefully the studios that want to make a deal and actually want you know to you know give people jobs again and that kind of stuff hopefully their voices become bigger than the smaller one or than the other voices like trying to say no we don't want to look weak yeah, um, I, so I feel like more than anything like yeah there are probably logistical reasons especially if it's netflix like they probably do want to like kind of experiment with uh doing shows with ais and uh you know what one of the biggest ways they've made a lot of money in the past was from uh you know lowballing people essentially and also looking for people that can uh lowball them in terms of producing a show um 
because I remember when Iron Fist came out, there there were a, a ton of people that wanted to work on it, but they ended up just giving it to the person that said that they could make it with the least amount of money. Um, mm. And that's why Iron Fist kind of looks really cheap compared to like Daredevil and Luke Cage uh, oh, at the time. You. Yeah, because it was like literally done with the lowest amount of money. And that's like what Netflix tries to look for. They look for people who will like ask for the least amount and uh, they'll be limited on that if they give into these uh, contra uh, into the new, you know, negotiations. Um, but that all being said, I do think it's mostly ego, ego more than anything else. <laughs> oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, and if, so if anything, we'll definitely continue to keep you guys posted on the development of the strikes that are happening. Um, you know, even if we don't necessarily bring it up every week, um, we usually really wait for really big developments. Uh, and I thought this was definitely worth talking about because, again, there might be some cracks in the armor of AMPTP. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping at the end of the day that we get something figured out by the end of this year i can't imagine this trickling into 2024 especially when you've got warner brothers um and i believe it was warner brothers that suggested the idea that they lost like 300 to 500 million dollars uh recently due to the strikes which is just one it's astronomical number but the fact that that money that you lost could have easily been towards your bargaining towards this deal um it's just ridiculous to me i'm like who's your accountant that lets you lose all this money and continue to lose money instead of just giving forth a little bit more and what's even crazy is that it wouldn't even be 400 or something million from just one company like this is i would assume that this is split between all the studios uh in regards to this bargain or this deal that they're that they're having to come up with so um it just yeah it makes me scratch my head that um studio executives would rather lose money than actually pay people uh and that's a little bit that's pretty disgusting to me they'd honestly, rather sir. they'd literally rather throw their money in the trash than give it to someone that's so which crazy. is incredibly scummy <laughs> oh i absolutely hate it absolutely hate it um but yeah it definitely gives you a perspective on hollywood um let me see who else we got in here in the live chat. Good old uh, Nathan Moore certainly coming through. Thank you very much. He says, I'm here for Jazz Sinclair and Chance Perdomo from uh, Gen V. Um, we got Melissa Benoist in the house. Uh, appreciate good Good to see you. Uh, not the real Melissa Benoist. It's AJ <laughs> pretending to be Melissa Benoist. But uh, yeah, let us uh, anyway, let us know your guys' thoughts. Uh, listen, if you got any uh, live viewer questions, Feel free to submit your live viewer questions over um, before we get into some main topics for you guys. Just go over to our YouTube page. Uh, Once you're on the YouTube page, click on that community tab. There is a live viewer question post for you guys. Uh, And you can go ahead and submit your question down below. And feel free to ask us whatever you certainly would like. Uh, And I do believe, I do believe uh, we've got good old Indy in the house. What's going on, man? Good to see you in here. Hey, what's going on? That, good. that the the deep tones of Indy Uchiha. I feel like we just turned to like a late night segment all of a sudden. I mean, if that's who we gotta be, let's, <laughs> let's get those subscribers. Where's that Marvin Gaye music in the background? All right, let's uh let's get did you have any honorable mentions by any chance, uh Indy or not? No. Anything you want to bring up? Okay. Unless we're gonna talk about 2K because I'm on here instead of playing 2K. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll let you get back to playing 2K in a little bit. Um, and afterwards, you got to play some Baldur's Gate. I just got it, and it's probably one of the most addicting games I think I've ever played. <laughs> Please subscribe. That way we can get more VC. Um, yeah, if you guys don't know, we do have a Twitch. I don't know if there's a link in the description box below for that or not. 
but um, we'll see. Um, all right, guys, let's get into some main topics today. Uh, we got six topics we're going to be breaking down. And you guys know if I have the opportunity to start off with some Marvel, I will, baby. Uh, look, we don't really have a lot of official, official announcements as of yet, just because of the strike currently going on. Uh, a lot of writers, actors, um, companies sitting on a lot of information right now that they certainly can't reveal um, because of the strike. But we always have rumors, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and we have a brand new Fantastic Four rumor. Uh, we've been keeping you guys up to date when it comes to just the casting of this particular movie. Um, I believe for the most part, we've teased at the idea of Vanessa Kirby um, possibly being Sue Storm. I believe that she might have been offered a role. Uh, there have also been talks of the Stranger Things star Joseph Quinn uh, possibly being Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, as well. I think we reported that uh, maybe about a month or so ago, um, and or maybe even longer than that. But uh, it's been kind of quiet, honestly. Uh, when it comes to casting for Fantastic Four. So the fact that this um, rumor wound up dropping definitely caught my eye and certainly worth um, a discussion because I literally just watched this man in the Oppenheimer movie, but Josh Hartnett, uh, his name is being floated around possibly as Dr. Doom, baby. Uh, now, whether or not he might be potentially the villain of the movie, who certainly knows, but I thought that this... Um, this rumor was certainly an interesting one. Uh, this actually comes to us from the Illuminati. Uh, they are not the source of this information, but they have written this article. Uh, it says, uh, Fantastic Four, the mighty Josh Hartnett rumored to be contending for MCU's new take on the villainous Dr. Doom. Uh, it says, Doom looms over the MCU, and he just might be Josh Hartnett. Emphasis on might um, so take this clearly as a rumor guys but let's go ahead and dive into it shall we it says um let me go ahead and pull this up here real quick before we do uh it says good old josh hartnett has returned to rule over hollywood now allegedly he might rule over the mcu according to a report by giant freaking robot which was subs subsequently supported by jeff snyder himself Josh Hartnett is slated to play the king of Latveria. As we have previously reported in Fantastic Four casting articles, Victor Von Doom is not set to be the primary antagonist of the film, uh, which makes Hartnett's casting even more exciting. Fresh off the back of Oppenheimer, he is going to be in demand, and I'm sure, I'm sure Marvel won't waste uh, uh, such a good casting opportunity. Could we already be thinking about a sequel? Um, so it looks as though the name for uh, of Josh Hartnett is certainly being thrown around. Um, and I think the article itself, if you're not too familiar with um, Josh Hartnett, um, they do have some notable roles that he certainly might have been in. So if you're looking to catch him in some films, Pearl Harbor, uh, 2001, uh, Black Hawk Down, also 2001. That must have been the year of Josh Hartnett. Um, lucky number 11 back in 2006, which I was a huge fan of, uh, great storyline and great twists and turns. Honestly, uh, he was also in sin city back in 2005. And they also have 30 days of night, uh, 2007, another classic. Um, I don't know how much, I feel like Josh Hartnett might've taken like a, a sabbatical away from, um, acting for a period of time, or maybe he just wasn't in the news for a while, but, 
I feel like seeing him in Oppenheimer is the first time I've seen him in uh, in something in, in quite some time. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has done other stuff and I just haven't been able to keep up with it. But I've always been a big fan of Josh Hartnett. I do think he's a really good actor. Um, I will say this um, this possible rumor of him being cast as Victor Von Doom does surprise me. I wouldn't say Josh Hartnett was certainly my first um, choice when it comes to Victor Von Doom. But I can easily see him in this role. Handsome dude, um, pre-Doctor Doom mask. Um, uh, and he's a, he's a powerful enough actor, I think, to certainly um, capture this role. Um, but what do you guys think? Stuart, I'll throw this um, to you first. Um, Josh Hartnett as Doctor Doom, yay uh, or nay? Um, Nothing against the actor. Like, he was great in Oppenheimer, and he's, uh, you know, good in a lot of things I've seen him in, I think. Uh, it's hard to say because uh, I can't remember what else I've seen him in besides Oppenheimer recently. Uh, but I don't know. To me, this kind of feels like... Um, early 2000s uh we don't really know the source material too well so we just need <laughs> someone who vaguely kind of rep, uh, looks similar to dr doom type casting um but i mean again yeah i'm sure he'll i'm sure he'll surprise me i'm sure there's like actually a reason he was chosen for the role but uh yeah it's it, it's right now uh i can't really say i have any excitement or disappointment level towards this just because uh i'm very neutral on him as an actor I gotcha. Yeah. And um, I mean, if it's been a while since you've seen some of his work, do you remember any of his other work from the past that you might have caught him in? Uh, I'm going to look him up on IMDb real quick just to see what else I've seen him in. Yeah, no problem. Um, Indy, let me come to you real quick um, while Stuart does that. When it comes to Josh Hartnett, now I feel like you've been pretty passionate about who you would like to see or have some potentials of your own that you would like to see play Dr. Doom. Um, I don't know if Josh Hartnett was going to make your cut or not. Um, but if you couldn't get the actors, first of all, t tell us who you personally would prefer as Dr. Doom if you could. Uh, and if you can't have him, how do you think um, Josh Hartnett fits into all this? I honestly uh, think it's a good casting. Um, the only reason why people don't uh, don't like the casting or what's going on, I feel it's because, like you said, uh, other than Oppenheimer, what has he been in? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? As a late but actors take breaks. Um, he he's an incredible actor. You know, um, one of my favorite movies that I ever seen him in was uh, Oh. You know what I'm saying? I loved him in The Faculty. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot he was in the faculty. The, um, bro, his his list of movies he's been in is just uh, crazy. I'm just trying to think of like which ones I remember off the top of my head, mm -hmm. or you know what I'm saying how uh, how's it going to be? I think I think he was in Sin City. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I I remember one of the Halloween movies. I remember like Thirty Days a Night. Uh, but but I rem the thing is is that thinking of him. And thinking of the movies that he's been in, there's something that he's done to stand out, you know what I'm saying, in those movies. And yes, uh, when it comes to casting somebody, especially when it comes to source material, you want somebody that sort of looks like what you remember from the source material. You know what I'm saying? He's got that prototypical be, uh, before, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, I, I could see Sue Storm being torn between this good looking individual, you know what I'm saying? And Reed Richards, you know, uh, type uh scenario. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that could honestly work. Uh, and I honestly feel like he could play the role. And, and the thing about it is because we haven't heard him come out and say that he's a fan of the source material or, you know what I'm saying? That he knows who Dr. Doom is, is one of the reasons why we're probably like, 
we can get somebody, you know what I'm saying, better. I, I, case in point, my my lead pick for the role is uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. But have no idea if he even knows who Dr. Doom is, you know what I'm saying, or, or anything like that. It's just because the man can act. Any role that I've seen him in, he's destroyed. You know what I'm saying? And and he's made sure that he's known who the character is. He finds that, you know what I'm saying, that medium, and he just destroys it. And I feel like Josh Harnett could do a similar thing. A lot of the names that are popular, like Adam Driver, you know, different things like that. Uh, we look at the material that we've seen them in, you know what I'm saying? And just because they're in nerdy pop culture material, we feel like they do a good job, you know, in, in this type of role. But when it comes to something like the Fantastic Four, I don't want somebody who can do good in that type of role. I want somebody that can actually act and take the role, you know what I'm saying, serious. And somebody like uh, Alexander Skarsgård or Josh Arnett, you know what I'm saying, are going to attack the role from a different way that we normally don't see, you know what I'm saying, especially in the MCU, that... uh, let, let me say that maybe uh, the way an Elizabeth Olsen, you know what I'm saying, attacked, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that maybe it might be, you know what I'm saying, a good casting. Um, and probably the best one that we heard of as of yet. Yeah, um, I, I will say, I did we have, um, did you have Keanu Reeves on that list for Doctor Doom? Or is that somebody else you were hoping for him to be in? Uh, uh, I think I, I, I have- remember. I had I think he was on my list, but I think I wanted him to play somebody else though. But he was on my list for Doctor Doom. But he he's in the same category I feel as other people are like Adam Driver. You know what I'm saying? That he's played in similar roles and he's such a big name actor and stuff that he you know what I'm saying he plays and he does you know what I'm saying an excellent job. But I'm like, give me another John Wick, give me another Constantine <laughs> movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Before I see him as, you know what I'm saying, Dr. Doom, I would 110% rather them do another Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves than have him play Dr. Doom. Yeah, I find Josh Hartnett very much as like the the dark horse uh, pick in this one. Um, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of fan casting surrounding this guy um, who everybody certainly wants um, to be their Dr. Doom. But it always comes down to what the script asks for, you know, uh, and why we certainly might have a vision as who we think could certainly play Dr. Doom, you know, maybe to the writers um, uh, and those putting this film together. Maybe Josh Hartnett really fits everything that they're certainly looking for. Uh, Cause I, I definitely agree with you, um, Indy, in the sense of like, if Sue Storm's got a pick between Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom, I need my Victor Von Doom to be pretty handsome uh, and have his great charisma uh, and be convincing as hell. Um, and Josh Hartnett definitely does that. And I do think, look, I, I never really question um, the MCU's casting decisions for the most part. Um, I, I do think, especially with Josh Hartnett, maybe being the dark horse here, maybe not many people like expecting him or throwing that name out. Um, and considering how good I personally think Josh Hartnett is as an actor, I do think that he can easily tackle this role. Um, and I do think he's going to be sneaky good in here. Um, if, uh, if this casting rumor does certainly turn out to be true again, maybe not necessarily my first choice. Cause I do think that we, get so accustomed to people that we've seen in sort of comic book movies already or have um, already like dabbled in sort of this uh, type of genre before, whether that be television or movies sort of thing. Um, But yeah, Josh Hartnett, I don't, uh, maybe Stuart can tell me like what his most recent 
stuff was on IMBD, but I personally have not seen him around for quite some time until it's come to Oppenheimer. So I can understand him not necessarily being on the tip of everybody's tongue in regards to like, yeah, I want this dude as Dr. Doom. But Hartnett is more than capable of uh, certainly pulling this off. He's got the looks. He's got the charisma. He's got the acting skills. Um, so, yeah, and uh, you know, I know, Indy, you say that you think that this is probably would be the best casting choice. Um, that we've seen so far. I'm still a really big fan of Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm. I do think that she'll probably really kill that particular role. Um, so I'm I'm liking how it's coming together if these uh, casting announcements do hold up uh, when it comes to uh, official announcements. But um, yeah, wasn't expecting Josh Hartnett, but I ain't mad at it. I ain't mad at it either. Um, what you, any thoughts, Stuart? Yeah, I think I just need to see more of his movies because uh, I'm like looking through his IMDb. And uh, so uh, the most recent thing he's been in besides uh, Oppenheimer was uh, Black Mirror. Uh, which episode was that? Because Oh, yeah. What episode or season? Oh, it was uh, the newest season, season six. So that's why oh, I haven't seen him in that. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to like look. So like uh, I think, yeah. So bet between that and then uh, Pearl Harbor and Sin City, I don't think I've seen him in anything else besides those movies. Yeah, Pearl Harbor, I think might have been my first time being introduced to him. That was I felt like that was such a teenage girl heartthrob movie at times, though, um, that I don't know if we took him very seriously. Yeah. Uh, him and Ben Affleck, I think were in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, it's still a good movie. Uh, I think it certainly holds up. And I, I thought Josh did a pretty good job. But yeah, lucky number 11. If you want to if you want to see a Josh Hartnett movie um, that you haven't seen before, I don't know if many people have seen lucky number 11. Uh, but it also have it has Ben Kingsley in it. I think it has Morgan Freeman in it has Bruce Willis in it. Also a really great star. Lucy Liu, I believe is in it. Great Stark uh, star star studded cast. Um, so definitely go ahead and check out some of his wait, stuff if you have it. I'm I'm tripping because you just called Pearl Harbor a teenage girl heartthrob movie. I mean, the fact that they had uh, Ben Affleck and like Josh Hartnett in there as like the the you know didn't they have like a shirt shirtless scene in there or something like that or like they were dirty and sweaty and greasy okay. from the fighting and stuff. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, I mean, it's on base. I mean, stuff. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that happens. I mean, I'm just that, that it's was appealing. It's appealing to them. Is all I'm saying. It's it's a lot of stuff that's you know what I'm saying uh, appealing to women. Every every movie the rock or zach efron has been in has go. been appealing to women but that that doesn't mean that um jumanji you know what i'm saying this was, was like was a teenage heartthrob girl movie this is this is like fresh off of like the success of the titanic i felt like mm. like we got the um leo Di leo leonardo dicaprio is uh as as jack you know heartthrob girls ah! Jack, you know, and then same thing with Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck and Pearl Harbor. It's the same thing. I'm kind of with Adam on this one. It, it was like, I feel like Pearl Harbor was way more about the romance and then it was like, oh, and then uh, Japanese invasion. Oh, and then back to the romance. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, however you feel about Pearl Harbor, I will say lucky number 11 is the one you need to check out for sure. It, it, was, uh, it, was, a real, it was a real story, guys. It was a real story. I mean, yeah, no, there was, I'm sure there was. Yeah, yeah there definitely I, I, was a story to it. It's a history historical a teenage event. a teenage heartthrob you know what i'm saying girl girl movie you know no, i didn't <laughs> it had moments of it that's all i'm saying that's all wait I'm saying. wait you mean like the actual romance in the movie was based yeah. on a true story yeah or or like creed let's let, let's go let, let's go with creed creed was a teenage heart i, I get <laughs> okay oh. okay i can kind of see an argument for creed too but but here's the thing you get just as much boxing as you do with romance there's a lot more balanced in creed i think 
Well, I mean, in Pearl Harbor, you can't just start off with the, you know what I'm saying, the the, the invasion and the bombing, or, you know what I'm saying, or the movie's over. <laughs> true, true. Uh, we got Nathan here. He says, uh, call me crazy, but I don't want that typical MCU film image. Uh, the Fantastic Four should be unique and a standout. Um, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, we'll see what Kevin Feige and them certainly creates. Um, look, you know, we've already taken several bites at this apple for trying to make a successful Fantastic Four movie. Um, and, um, you know, I will say the trajectory in which the MCU is going right now uh, does make me a little concerned um in regards to can they really tap into the creativeness of bringing something like the fantastic four to life properly we'll definitely have to um to wait and see but i definitely do hope it's unique and it definitely takes some swings but um guys let us know your thoughts here um again fantastic four rumor josh hartnett uh potentially cast as dr doom how do you feel about it? What do you feel about Josh Hartnett's career? Um, is uh, Who did you have in mind for Dr. Doom? Do you think he'll fit this role beautifully? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section box below. Um, and you know what? We'll stick in the MCU. And we'll move over to the MCU of old when it comes to the Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you will. Going back to good old The Defenders era. Um Definitely a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of us certainly wanted to see more seasons um, as we start now going into the Disney Plus um, MCU TV era, if you will. We have some returning faces for things like the Daredevil uh, Born Again series. Um, I believe the Echo series will also see a returning Charlie Cox uh, and Vincent D'Onofrio as Matt Murdock, along with the Kingpin as well. Um, but there are still some faces from the Netflix time period that we have not certainly seen that people are hoping that they get the opportunity to certainly reprise their roles. Uh, one season when it comes to Netflix Marvel that I think some people certainly pushed back against, maybe not their best work, um, the Iron Fist series. Well, I think a lot of people would like to try and strike season one away from their memory um season two i think certainly did come through for its fans in regards to rejuvenating it a little bit um giving it a very hopeful certainly looking future uh with some of the characters and sort of the storytelling that they had for season two of uh of um iron fist but unfortunately, that never came to fruition. Uh, and one of the uh, Marvel Netflix directors today or this week is currently in the news, giving us a tease as to what we potentially could have gotten as apparently there was a Defenders spinoff series um, that potentially would have been in development. And I really wanted to have you on, Indy, for this one specifically because you did go ahead and actually review the Iron Fist Season 2 for us um, back when we were A-plus opinions, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I definitely want to get your perspective on this. But it seems, again, that we would have had a Defenders spinoff titled Daughters of the dragon uh and this actually might have come to us directly from that of the iron fist series so uh let's go ahead and um get into this this comes to us from superherohype.com but this uh article if i'm not mistaken uh does come from elsewhere i believe it's um uh, yeah, the Luke Cage director confirms he tried to set up a Daughters of the Dragon series. It says Mark Jobst, who helmed two episodes of Luke Cage, confirmed that he was trying to set the stage for a Daughters of the Dragon spinoff. 
While speaking about his latest project, the live-action One Piece show, uh, he spoke with The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, the filmmaker was prompted on whether he intended to pave the way for a series dedicated to Misty Knight and Colleen, uh, Colleen Wig. Uh, let's go ahead and pull this up here for you. Um, he says, yes, absolutely. There was some relationship building in the episode, starting with the boxing ring training, is what Mark Jobs said. Uh, that culminated in Colleen deliberately leading Misty into a fight to get over her self-pity, knowing that Misty would rise to it, which she did. The two of them going off into the smoke and aboken, uh, uh, and Boca as a definitive twosome was a nod to the potential of Daughters of the Dragon. It says, while the setup was established, the show never came to fruition uh, after Marvel Studios reclaimed the rights of many of the Defender characters, effectively putting that version um, on the franchise uh, of the franchise to rest. So, um, you know, if you looked at Iron Fist Season 2 or, um, uh, or Luke Cage, uh, possibility that you might have thought, hey, there seems like there's more to this um, that uh, we unfortunately never got. You probably would be right. So let me ask you first, Indy, um, since you did get the opportunity to watch a lot of these Netflix series uh, and you were a big fan of um, Jessica's Colleen Wig, if I'm if I recall properly, um, missed opportunity. Uh, are you uh, were you would you would have looked forward to this? Uh, what are your thoughts on this to see that there potentially was more? You could tell that there was going to potentially be more and there was something going to be set up off of that just off of the last episode of the it was second season of Iron Fist. I think it was um, it was a complete setup. Colleen Wig had been doing her thing and and I forget the lady's name who played Misty Knight, but um, uh, they had been doing their thing for seasons. When it, when it came from Luke Cage, when it came from Iron Fist, uh, part of the best thing about Iron Fist was uh, the, the Colleen, Colleen Wig character. Um, and just watching this young lady um, develop from the short stint that she had in Game of Thrones. That's where her hype was coming. You know what I'm saying? Coming from because right off of her character dying in Game of Thrones, here she comes. You know what I'm saying? To be able to play in Iron Fist. The, the setup was impeccable just like the setup for Danny Rand um, at the end of that season two and where his character was going. So I do believe it was a failed opportunity by Disney. And if I was going to pick, if I was going to keep anything from that Netflix era and, and the way it was without switching anything up, that would have been one of the things that I would have picked and um, done. So it, it, it was very interesting to me that out of everything they decided to cancel that, they they let that go or that they don't bring those characters back um with those actress act, actresses in order to be able to reprise that because you don't really need the iron fist or luke cage connection in order for that to continue on you could start fresh with this just those two and that was the most interesting thing about iron fist um because we all know how we felt about the seasons, even though I wanted to give um, Finn a pass on, you know what I'm saying, the role with the way, with the short time um, he came on and had to prepare, you know what I'm saying, for that throw. Also a Game of Thrones, you know what I'm saying, alum. Oh, that's right, yeah. And you want to see those Game of Thrones alum. You want to see everybody who came from Game of Thrones succeed, you know what I'm saying, because the, the show was just that good and the time and work put in. 
So I I was I was for it. I was really into it. It was my favorite thing about that season. You know what I'm saying? The Iron Fist was char- the character development between those two. I was geeked when Misty Knight, you know what I'm saying, got her arm. You know, I was geeked when Colleen, Colleen got her abilities. But the fact that that went nowhere kind really, really, really kind of upset me because they put those characters through too much just to end where it ended. Yeah, I can imagine that's a little bit of a bummer when you have um, high hopes for characters that are written great uh, and really given an opportunity and not see them hit their uh, fullest potential. You know, I've actually, um, uh, Marcelino says, Simone Missick uh, was the actress who played Misty Knight. Thanks for the clarity, Marcelino. Um, as far as uh, Jessica Henwick, who played Colleen Wiggin here, uh, while I personally didn't watch Iron Fist season two, I remember how much um, Indy really boasted about her. Um, and her performance and wanting to kind of see more of her. And since then, um, she has uh, popped up um, several other places. Um, I remember seeing her in the Matrix Resurrections, which kind of surprised me. Cool role and opportunity for her in there. Um, she was also in The Gray Man as well, the Netflix um, series from the Netflix movies from the Russo brothers. And then she popped up again most recently. I remember seeing her in was uh, the Glass Onion movie. Um, so I- I'm really cool that Jessica Henwick continues to get opportunities opportunities um um to really shine because i do think that she's a really good actress and if anything you know i think i i am fascinated in the idea that she has not picked up another mcu role uh because from what i'm hearing is that she's still waiting for um an opportunity to play colleen wig once again um so whether or not an opportunity like that pops up for jessica henwick i don't know would you guys want to see her back as colleen or do you think she should be in the mcu as um somebody else i might actually throw that question to stewart uh to get uh to hear your thoughts on that and just the potential for them to have been a spinoff daughters of the dragon what do you would you uh would have thought of that yeah i think uh if if the things kept going good for uh, the Marvel Netflix shows, I think this would have been another really successful uh, series for them. Uh, it's too bad things kind of uh, ended up going downhill when uh, Netflix decided to cancel all the shows, and uh, we never really got to see what that whole like uh, you know that whole like Hell's Kitchen cinematic universe, whatever you want to call it, what that whole like world could have really looked like, especially because uh, I do think if it if it went going, if uh, Disney didn't like or. I'm not sure if it was Disney or Netflix specifically who canceled them, but if those shows didn't get canceled, it would have been kind of cool to see them being integrated into the MCU, uh, seeing those characters, you know, fight alongside, uh, you know, bigger, uh, you know, characters from the movies and things like that. Uh, but I really do like the idea of the spinoff show, what they're taught, what they were uh, planning. And I do think, yeah, Jessica Hedwig, if, uh, if she were to ever come back to the MCU, um, while I wouldn't mind seeing her take up a new role, I would really love to see her, uh, reprise her role though uh from uh iron fist because uh, i think uh you know a lot of people who didn't like the show will admit that her character was really well done strong, yeah. um yeah and that's uh you know even more impressive <laughs> when you kind of consider like the apparent like uh you know behind the scenes shit that was going on where like a lot of the uh, actors were being treated very poorly uh, especially like the asian actors so the fact that she was able to uh you know work on a set like that and still give an amazing performance really shows like you know just her overall talents as an actress um so yeah i would personally i would love to see her come back as the character but again if she comes into the mcu as a different character totally fine with that too yeah man i'm 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 right there with you i i personally would like her to come back as um as colleen um look just just 
just give us a Heroes for Hire series already, please. Yes. I mean, you literally can take all your other Netflix characters and put them into one show. I mean, you could literally have an ensemble show that focuses on Luke Cage. Um, you can have Christian Ritter come back as, um, as uh, damn it, what's her name? Um, oh, uh, Jessica Jones. Or, uh, Jessica oh, Jones. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. You can have Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, bring in Misty Knight, bring Colleen Wig back. Hell, I'll I'll even take a Danny Rand uh Iron Fist again yeah. uh, and have um have those five um be the leads for your heroes for a higher show. Um, and everybody can just easily reprise their roles uh if they certainly wanted to. So I do think that the potential is certainly still there. Um, you know, we'll see once we get introduced to the Daredevil series. Once Echo is certainly um, revealed, maybe it'll give us a better sense of what sort of that um, that um, as you mentioned it, Stuart, the Hell's Kitchen aspect of the MCU universe, like what that might certainly look like. Um, but once you've established that, I, I would be perfectly OK with the idea of them bringing in more of these actors from Netflix. I mean, I think I can't remember if it was from the set of like Daredevil or some of these shows, but I feel like. I feel like I personally have seen photos of like Kristen Ritter still hanging out with some of these cast members after all these years, um, kind of hinting at teasing at potentially something. So whether or not we do get something in the future, who knows? But um, I, I would love it. I think this was a missed opportunity. But, you know, look, if I'm Marvel and I get my rights back, yeah, I probably would want to do something with these characters myself. So I don't blame them for canceling that stuff. But it just feels like, at least when it comes to Iron Fist, right? A lot of people shit on season one, rightfully so, probably. Season two, I definitely do think was going in a much better direction of establishing characters better. Uh, and I think they definitely had some potential for more to build off of it had we gotten it. But um, we're not there anymore. And we'll see if uh, these characters eventually return. But I, I've I've turned out to be a big Jessica Henwick fan, though. Yeah. Um, oh no, yeah, no, no, sorry. Yeah, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> oh, I said like, yeah. She's um, she's she's uh, delivered some pretty good things. But uh, let us know your guys' thoughts. Um, Daughters of the Dragon uh, is that uh, a spinoff you probably would have liked to have seen with Colleen Wig and Misty Knight? Uh, apparently, it was um, something that they were contemplating before Marvel took back their rights for these characters. Um, but uh, a lot of potential. But uh, let us know your thoughts if you guys would have liked to have seen that in the comment section box below. Um, and I think with that, let me see um, what anybody else is saying here. Shout out to uh, Double C for certainly coming through today, man. He says, I think Josh make a good Dr. Doom. However, I haven't seen Josh in years. What's he been doing all this time? Do you ever figure out his IMBD? Like, has he been doing other content and other acting work or no? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I think the most uh, recent thing he's been in besides Oppenheimer, he's uh, in an episode of Black Mirror, uh, the most mm. recent season. You did say that, right? Season six. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else before that? Do you recall? Oh, uh, not that I can recall now. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely been very much MIA. I wonder if he's had a family, if he's got kids, if he's just been raising them behind the scenes and hasn't really been getting into much. Uh, but it definitely felt like there was an, an, a Josh Hartnett era for sure, like early 2000s. He felt like Homeboy was everywhere. Um, all right. Let's go from that topic to another one here our third topic for the day um actually how do i have this um set up oh you know what let's get into some one piece talk y'all because one piece uh wind up dropping uh last week if i'm not mistaken has it been a week two weeks 
Uh, yeah, I think it's been two weeks. I think it's been two weeks now. Um, One Piece is extremely popular right now. I've been hearing <laughs> a lot of people checking it out, man. I don't know exactly where it's setting at the top 10 for uh, Netflix, um, but uh, people are definitely watching the hell out of it. Uh, we've been talking it up uh, over the past several months, um, getting people prepared and ready for this series, uh, and it definitely looks like it is um, certainly coming through, so much so uh, that apparently um, they have a season two that's certainly ready to go. Uh, the scripts are particularly done. I think it's just really right now a matter of the strike sort of wrapping up before they can kind of get people back in front of the cameras. Um, but Netflix is praising this series and also talking about just the high bar uh, that it had to certainly overcome and potentially is now sort of set for any other manga adaptions that Netflix certainly has plans uh, to do. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the success of One Piece here. Uh, as we go to an article, uh, this is actually going to come to us from Deadline.com. It says, um, One Piece cleared a very high bar, says the Netflix co-chief Greg Peters, saying making a statement for the streaming giant's evolving content approach. Uh, I always thought this was uh, fascinating. So let's go ahead and talk about this. And if you guys have had the opportunity to see One Piece, uh, let us know your thoughts on the series so far uh, in the comment section box below or down in the live chat, guys. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, but the article says um, the co-CEO, Greg Peters, who oversaw the launch of Netflix in Japan in a previous executive role, said the strong debut of the series One Piece cleared a very high bar and attest to the company's evolving content approach. This is a very high bar to meet, uh, to basically take a storied manga and deliver it in English language live action. Pretty much all the haters are out looking for a reason to hate you for it, to be able to deliver it and have it be massively popular and a success around the world is amazing to see. Um, it says Netflix released this weekly top 10 charts, which had One Piece topping the English language rankings. While it felt short of Wednesday or Queen Charlotte levels, the adaption is in the top 10 in 93 countries and number one in 46 of them with 18.5 million views from August 28th to September, uh, September 3rd. It says um, One Piece resulted from uh, extensive collaboration between the U.S. and Japanese content teams at Netflix. The series is an example of Netflix executives trying to find places where there is demand we're not serving effectively. Uh, across the globe, subscribers base of 238 million. What we're seeing is that the calculus behind uh, th behind that is getting more interesting and more complicated in ways that are very exciting to me. Uh, during the rest of 2023, Peters estimated several dozen new series will come along with the goal of breaking down those barriers between creators and audiences across territories. Paced by the ultimate example, the 2021 Squid Game, Netflix has increasingly prioritized uh, series and films that can play well globally in spite of or sometimes because of their places of origin. Uh, so, yeah, they're definitely trying to find more um, um, products that definitely appeal to people, certainly globally. Um, and uh, clearly, One Piece is definitely one of them. Um, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to see One Piece or not. Uh, and again, this goes to um, Indy and Stuart. Uh, I believe 
um, India. I believe there might be a review coming first, uh, coming from you, um, and maybe John later on this week. But let me go to you first, Stuart. Um, you hear this about the high bar. I says this is a very high bar to meet to basically take a storied manga and deliver it on the English language live action. You know, we've we've highlighted the um, creator talking about um, the back and forth between him and Netflix, sometimes his criticisms, but also his determination to certainly get it right. Uh, so clearly they have been really working very hard behind the scenes. We definitely reported that a while back. But now that One Piece is here and he talks about that high bar, do you think it certainly met that? Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, personally, I definitely think they met that high bar. Um, yeah, so I finished One Piece and thought it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and the fact that they had the creator of the manga working on it with them, I think is amazing. Uh, haven't, you know, read the manga yet, but this show has made me want to actually like start reading the manga. That's how like good the show was, uh, for me personally. Um, I think, uh, one one issue I had with Cowboy Bebop is they try to do kind of something similar that they do with this show, which is they try to make it stylized, make it like look like you're watching a live action anime rather than try to, you know, uh, make it like rather than try to adapt it into a movie. They just make it a straight up live action anime. And I think it works mm -hmm. really good with One Piece uh, because One Piece is a comedy. It's a fun adventure. And so it having that kind of style works really well, whereas it didn't work well in a show like Cowboy Bebop, which, you know, is based on an anime that was supposed to be taken, you know, I. I think should have been taken a little bit more seriously. And that's why I personally couldn't get into Cowboy Bebop, but I love uh, this adaptation of One Piece, uh, you know? So just, it, it gets so many things right and it's very original for the most part, uh, very unique with its uh, look. Uh, so yeah, the, the fact that it's uh, doing really successful on Netflix is no surprise to me. Uh, I'm glad to hear it's successful and I really hope like, yeah, once the strikes are, uh, you know, done, I do hope we get this uh, season two. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I do believe One Piece is – did the same company create um, Cowboy Bebop? Were they in charge of this? Um, I'll I'll put that question to you, uh, Indy, because I'm, I'm personally not sure. But did the same studio that did um, Cowboy Bebop do One Piece? And if so, what do you think made them get this right compared to them not getting that right? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know. I didn't even finish the uh, Cowboy Bebop, uh, the Cowboy Bebop uh, live action, but I do believe the issues that we have with what was going on uh, is because Cowboy Bebop is a relatively short anime and manga. Like, there's not a lot of source material to pull from when it comes, you know, what I'm saying the Cowboy Bebop. Um, One Piece the 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 creators and everybody another thing the creator was involved yeah when, when it when it was done one piece is over a thousand episodes you know what i'm saying like a thousand chapters of the mo it's so much material you know what i'm saying for one piece we know who these characters are i mean think about it the, the big gear five you know what i'm saying showing i think it was like uh uh 1075 i think it is it's like or maybe it was 1175 episode of the anime like th this show has been on forever Two, as as well as this live action was done yeah my must it's a lot easier to do one piece than it is to do uh other anime 
adaptations, whether it's Dragon Ball, Bleach, um, Death Note. You know what I'm saying? It, that those 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 get a lot more absurd, a lot harder to do. Um, it uh, One Piece is more of an ensemble cast. It's more than just you know what I'm saying. Luffy fighting the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? The character, each individual character is well flushed out. That's one thing that One Piece does as a story better than any other anime. You know what I'm saying? Every every character that you're introduced to in One Piece is very important, you know, and fleshed out. So it, it was built um, to me to be able to be live action. And they got the casting right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh they didn't do the same thing when it came to other adaptations except for maybe bleach but bleach the problem with the bleach adaptation it wasn't stylized enough after bleach you know what i'm saying it might have been taken a little bit too seriously when it should have had more of that anime flair technology has a lot to do with it the way things are filmed uh one piece uh is is basically a anime version of pirates of the caribbean you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you know that you know how to make this show what you need it to look like because because if you look at it, you feel uh crazy kid Captain Jack Sparrow. You know what I'm saying? And I, One Piece has been long for a while. I don't mean the comparisons, but the, the story of Pirates of the Caribbean has been around for years. That 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 ride that that show's been at Disney for forever. You know what I'm saying? Like it 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 had something that it could go off of. You, you know. And just improve because if you ask me, it's a better version of that. Mm. But they got the they doing eight episodes is probably the best thing they could do. You know what I'm saying? Because the special effects and everything like that gets super expensive. So they were able to do what they needed to do to make it feel like it needed to feel. Um, and when you have the anime and the manga readers on your side, when it comes to a live action, you're going to do well. Because the uh, One Piece is something that sells, 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 sells. And as long as you stay true to the content, you're going to make money. Now, the issue we're going to have is how do you keep it going in a second season? Because uh, I believe somebody, uh, Marcelino said it. He said, uh, One Piece is good, but my concern is the series progresses, the powers become more absurd, and this could suffer from a Stranger Things curse where the actors are older than their characters. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't believe it's going to suffer from the Stranger Things curse. You know what I'm saying? Because Stranger Things, they start off so young as kids. That that's the beautiful thing about One Piece. They're teenagers, they're adults. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to have the same issue as you're going to have with uh, Stranger Things starting off with the kids being as young. But the progress of power things is going to be very, 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 very prominent in this series as Luffy starts unlocking gears and everybody starts getting more powerful. How are you going to visualize that? How much is that going to cost? That's going to be what we're going to do. You know what I'm saying? And and that's what I'm looking forward to. Hey, I'm even looking forward to what gear two, gear three is gonna be a lot. I don't I I honestly don't think they're gonna make it to gear five. You know what I'm saying? Even though that would break Netflix just like gear five broke, you know what I'm saying, Crunchyroll in the internet. You couldn't even get on Crunchyroll to watch that because it broke it broke Crunchyroll. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to see if they have a time skip. Like if they don't, you know what I'm saying? Uh don't show everything. And maybe, you know what I'm saying, jump ahead a little bit. That could always help. But th there's so much lore when it comes to this. It's going to look crazy. And and I can't wait to actually get with John and getting into a review to break down, you know what I'm saying, almost page for page anime live action. Because that's one thing they did. They stayed put 
to the lore and how the anime was put on and you could almost take anime live action scene for scene and be like oh was this better here was this better there that's one of the things they did rather than trying to change stuff around to fit the actors that they had they made the actors fit what was there the source material uh yeah hopefully you and john can um get a review for the channel um let me know when you guys do um we'll, we'll definitely go ahead and get that posted um blossom says um one piece seems pretty cool um she says uh my fave is um is nami uh she does eventually later later mention they did have a time skip maybe um we'll see their time skip selves as well um who else we got in here nathan says it was it's pretty fun no serious complaints from him uh he loves uh and frankie says he loves uh one piece more azaro please <laughs> um i've yet had the opportunity to check out the series myself um uh, but it is um something i plan on um watching um and speaking of a season two because you are you did bring up the idea of like where do you um go from here um season two scripts are apparently finished uh, according to variety.com i said the episodes could air 12 to 18 months after the strike it says on the heels of its splash debut the producers behind netflix says scripts for a possible season two are completed and that the next season could be uh, ready to air in a year or so um it says um yeah we've got scripts ready is what the ceo of tomorrow studio says though production on a potential second season would not begin be able to begin until the sag after strike uh has been resolved uh tomorrow studios president says that once they're allowed to get going season two could launch as early as next year they say realistically hopefully a year away if we move very quickly and that is a possibility somewhere between a year and 18 months um so yeah we'll see um we'll see how that goes it says um while netflix has touted the success of season one um word on season two renewal has not yet arrived but all signs point to a pickup at the moment they says uh, they keep it as you know close to the vest until post launch but with netflix support of the title we expect it to be number one and we sense their research and algorithms probably saw the possibility for that but in our subsequent calls post launch we have been told that we have exceeded expectations which is also fantastic so season two has not been greenlit yet but season two scripts uh, are ready to go it's just a matter of getting people in front of the camera so i'm glad to see that they were that forward thinking um to have a second season um possible do you think um you think a year to a year and a half is realistic Stuart? yeah for the most part i think uh, i don't see it being any longer than two years uh again this all this uh assumes um it's all based on the assumption of when the writers or actors strike will uh, end. But I do think that the moment it ends, we can definitely expect it in a year and a half. Um, yeah. So, well, we'll definitely continue to keep you guys posted again. Once these strikes resolve or any further uh, um, information about the strikes, we'll definitely keep you posted. Um, but yeah, season two is ready to go. Um, so let us know your thoughts. Are you guys ready for a season two of one piece? Have you checked it out? Have you not finished it? Have you finished it again? These are just simply our a plus opinions. We want to know yours. Um, did it uh, beat your expectations? Uh, let us know guys. Um, and with that out of the way, uh, let's move on to our next topic, Stuart. Um, this one should be a doozy. Um, look, when it comes to movies, television shows, you know, I think we all have people that we rely on to 
get their points of view and or you know get their reviews or how they personally felt about a movie and sometimes you know as we um listen to these critics these online pundits these influencers and things like that you know they do definitely have a way of influencing whether or not we want to go see a movie or not um you can think of big companies such as uh, rotten tomatoes does things like this um giving you a percentage is it certified fresh is it rotten worth seeing is it good bad yada 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 you even have cinema score that usually comes out with a grading system themselves um but rotten tomatoes is in the news as um Vulture.com continues to do their investigative work here. Um, I feel like they've put out some pretty good articles as of late. One recently for the Across the Spider-Verse VFX workers, um, really hearing from Vulture and the VFX workers about how much they are really put to work and how hard it is to certainly make uh, one of those movies, especially when it comes to Across the Spider-Verse. But Vulture is back letting us know that the Rotten Tomatoes algorithm or the idea of reviews, that there may be some studios that are potentially paying some critics to maybe give them more favorable reviews to maybe boost their ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, considering just how important I think Rotten Tomatoes has really become when it comes to um, moviegoers and things like that. I mean, you see it on trailers these days. You see it on ads, uh, commercials about upcoming movies, certified fresh, 79% sort of thing, right? Really utilizing Rotten Tomatoes to get their movie over. But how would you feel if you knew studios were maybe potentially buying some of their reviews to maybe boost some of their uh ratings let's go ahead and dive into this man because this um this is kind of eye-opening just to kind of give you an idea of uh, maybe how rotten tomatoes certainly works again this comes to us from vulture.com this is a pretty fairly long article so i'll try and certainly do my best to get through uh some of it for you guys i'm not going to read the whole article but um rotten tomatoes is in the news, baby. Let's go ahead and do this. Um, so Vulture.com, the title of this article is called The Decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. The most overrated metric in movies is erratic, reductive, and easily hacked, and yet has Hollywood in its grips. It says in 2018, a movie publicity company called Bunker 8, uh, excuse me, Bunker 15 took on a new project titled Ophelia. It was a feminist retelling of Hamlet starring Daisy Ridley. Critics who had seen early screenings had published 13 reviews, seven of them negative, which translated to a score of 46% on the all-important site Rotten Tomatoes, a disappointing outcome for the Ophelia film with prestige aspirations and no domestic distributor. So those 13 reviews clearly hurt that movie back in 2018. But just because the tomato meter says a title is rotten, scoring below 60%, it doesn't need to stay that way. Bunker 15 went to work. While most film PR companies aim to get the attention of critics from top publications, Bunker 15 takes a more bottom-up approach, recruiting obscure, often self-published critics who are nevertheless part of the pool tracked by Rotten Tomatoes. In another break from standard practice, several critics say Bunker 15 pays them $50 or more for each review. 
These payments are not typically disclosed, and Rotten Tomatoes say it prohibits reviewing based on a financial incentive. In October that year, an employee of the company emailed a prospective reviewer about Ophelia, saying, It's a Sundance movie, and the feeling is that it's been treated a bit harshly by some critics. Uh, it says, so the teams involved feel like it would benefit from more input from different critics. More input from different critics is not a very subtle code. And the prospective critic wrote back to ask what would happen if he hated the film. The Bunker 15 employee replied that, of course, journalists are free to write whatever they would like, but that super nice ones often agree uh not uh, often agreed not to publish bad reviews on their usual website but to instead quarantine them on a smaller blog that Rotten Tomatoes never sees i think it's a very cool thing to do if done right the trick would help ensure that rotten tomatoes logged positive reviews but not in negative ones so since the release of um between the dates of um october 18th and january 19th Remember that Ophelia movie that uh, scored 46% on, you know, half of its reviews being negative? Rotten Tomatoes added eight more reviews to Ophelia's score. Seven were favorable, and most came from critics who had reviewed at least one other Bunker 15 movie. The writer of a negative review says that Bunker 15 lobbied them to change it. If the critic wanted to give a barely overall positive, um, he says, if the critic wanted to give it a barely overall positive, then I do know the editors at Rotten Tomatoes and can get it switched, a Bunker 15 employee wrote. I also discovered another, another negative review of Ophelia from this period that was not counted by Rotten Tomatoes by a writer whose positive review of other Bunker 15 films had been recorded by the aggregator. Affiliator, uh, Ophelia climbed the tomato meter to 62% from 46, flipping from rotten to fresh. The next month, the distributor IFC Films announced that it had acquired Ophelia for release in the U.S. So it actually, it actually in turn helped build up that movie uh, and get picked up for uh, eventually being distributed here in the States. Um, of course, the production company for Ophelia did not re uh, return their request for comment. Uh, Bunker 15 founder says, wow, you are really reaching there and disagrees with the suggestion that his company buys reviews to skew Rotten Tomatoes. He says, we have dozens of writers in our distribution list. A small handful have set up a specific system where filmmakers can sponsor or pay to have them write a review. So there you go. And they say noted. Um, and it says the Ophelia affair is a useful microcosm of understanding how Rotten Tomato works, which turned 25 years old in August. The site was conceived in the early days of the web as a hot or not for movies. Now it can make or break them with implications of how films are perceived, released, marketed, and possibly even greenlit. The tomato meter may be the most important metric in entertainment, yet it's also erratic, reductive, and easily hacked. He says the studios didn't invent Rotten Tomatoes, and most of them don't like it, says the filmmaker, Paul Schrader. But the system is broken. Audiences are dumber. Normal people don't go through reviews like they used to. Rotten Tomatoes is something that studios can game, so they do. 
Uh, and before we go on, I got to get your guys' thoughts on some of this. Any, um, any, anything that uh, sticks out at you immediately? Honestly, even before all this, I always thought Rotten Tomatoes was kind of uh, just not a good place to get like an overall general idea of what uh, whether or not a movie is good or bad. Because the big thing, uh, the big movies that are always going to benefit from Rotten Tomatoes are mid movies. Because a lot of people will go into a mid movie and say, "Hey, I didn't hate that. I didn't love it, but it was okay," and that's going to go towards uh, a good review on Rotten Tomatoes uh, basically so you could just go out of a movie saying it's okay and it'll be counted as a good review and because of that you know a lot of people are going to agree with you on that uh, it'll be a very high percentage movie it'll likely be in the 80s or 90s meaning that mid movies tend to get like really really good ratings on uh, Rotten Tomato um, so that's even before you know we get to the fact that they are like you know the fact that they find like ways around uh, being able to bribe people into giving more positive reviews as well so you know this so hearing this on top of that um i can't really say i'm that surprised honestly yeah i mean i i do wonder how well i don't want to say i wonder how much rotten tomatoes is aware of this but despite them saying rotten tomatoes saying look we don't you know we don't publish things that have been financially you know have gotten financial gain off of this but you know when a company like bunker 15 does that and persuades some of their critics that they are aware of that are under the rotten tomatoes umbrella to maybe push these positive um it, well, it doesn't necessarily feel like rotten tomatoes is paying people but their mm -hmm. system is allowing other companies to pay critics to maybe help boost their ratings one of the reasons why i probably no longer listen to that of like first reactions Right. Um, I feel like we tend to get first reactions where people will go. They'll just just positive, like positivity dump on Rotten Tomatoes, boost the score up. But then when it's actually released and other critics get the opportunity to see it and other moviegoers get to see it, it can be a whole different ball game. Um, so it's one of the reasons why I kind of have stopped listening to first reactions of things. But does anything stick out to you, um, Indy, in, this, in regards to this one as of right now? Yeah, it sounds like exactly what the article is trying to put forward that people pay for re positive reviews. Because if that if that if that's the case, and I'm paying money so you review my movie, and you like getting money, and you give a negative review, and then the studio decides not to pay you any money for reviews, um, you're gonna you're not gonna give a negative review. That way, you can keep the influx of money coming in. So I feel that anytime it has anything to do with money involved paid in order to do something it's always for a favorable outcome when you go to go when you go when you pay your 220 dollars for a pair of jordans i'm pretty sure you're not trying to pay for a knockoff right you want <laughs> actual jordans because yeah. if you gotta if you got something that's got an upside down jordan logo on it you know what i'm saying that that's not a favorable outcome so yeah and the way that rotten tomatoes affects movies you know what I'm saying now it is is very bad. I mean bad. the the reviews make or break for sure. You see stuff mm -hmm. getting bombed before the movie even comes out. You know what I'm saying on, on Rotten Tomatoes, and it affects uh somebody who doesn't read reviews, who doesn't have friends who go to the movies all the time. They go, oh, um, this this is a a bad example, but I'm gonna use this just because this is a bad movie. Oh man, uh, I want to go see Morpheus. Let me go on Rotten Tomatoes and, you know what I'm saying, see what the tomato meter said. Oh, it got a half. I'm not paying $20, you know what I'm saying, to go movie, go see a movie that got a half a tomato. But then the movie is Oscar-worthy, you know what I'm saying? Again, bad example with, you know what I'm saying, the movie that I'm talking about. But, uh, 
but you didn't go see it because it's got one or two, you know what I'm saying, tomatoes on the, on the tomato meter because you want to go off of other people's opinion who may not like an actor in the movie or met or my favorite thing is may not like a woman or somebody of color in a prominent role because they feel like the character should have been represented by somebody else so they review bomb the movie so people won't go see it it, it has entirely too much effect on what happens with movies nowadays than people actually going to make their own opinions when the only a plus opinions that you'll get is from this page right here so you should only listen to us and nobody else but which which mind you we are actually going to create a report card for grading our movies and tv shows going forward so yeah. uh if you are looking for a place to get your reviews um we definitely will be having report cards on things that we watch so yeah, yeah and you can't pay us for favorable reviews yeah, you can't pay unless, us, uh... unless you're sleeping <laughs> a mail and you don't have to give me money just come sit by me and tell me stories and I, I'll possibly review everything that you that you do, sir. Yeah, I mean, it definitely shows how fickle um, or how easily broken the Rotten Tomatoes system could easily be. It's one of the other reasons why I think I've pushed and I've been very favorable for another site um, cinema score. You know, when when those drop, you know, the fact that they sort of aggregate um, uh, audience members, you know, once they leave the audience, uh, once they leave the theaters, you know, ask, you know, questionnaires, asking them questions, um, getting surveys from them about what they thought of the movie. Like, I rather get my source from audience members that have actually seen the films themselves. So I've, I've always pretty much trusted cinema score in that regards. Um, usually you probably have to wait a little bit longer to get those scores compared to that of Rotten Tomatoes. We are in the society where it's just like, I, I want to know the results now sort of thing. But if you can wait a couple days, I think cinema score is certainly proving to be a pretty reliable source of, um, and, and what I think I loved about cinema score too is it gives you a grade so, so much more than it does like, um, having to read long reviews and things like that. Um, uh, but, um, you know, if you like hearing other people's perspective, you know, that's, it might certainly be for you, but I would always recommend, um, um, cinema score, but let's go ahead and I will read a little bit more of this article. It says in a recent interview, Quentin Tarantino, whose next film was reportedly called the movie critic admitted that he no longer reads critics work. He says today, I don't know any, uh, he says, I'm, I'm told, Manala Dargis, she's excellent, but when I asked what are the three movies she loved and the three she hated in the last few years, no one can answer me because nobody cares. He says this is probably because Rotten Tomatoes, with help from Yelp, Goodreads, and countless other review aggravators, has desensitized us to the opinion of individual critics. Once upon a time, Gene Siskel and Robert Ebert Roger Ebert uh, turned the no-budget documentary Hoop Dreams into a phenomenon um, using only their thumbs. But critical power like that has been replaced by a collective voice of the masses. A third of U.S. adults say they check Rotten Tomatoes before they go to the multiplex. And while a movie ad's used to tout the um, blurbage of Jeffrey Lyons and Peter Travers, now they're most likely to boast that a film has been certified fresh. To filmmakers across the spectrum, Rotten Tomatoes is a scourge. Martin Scorsese says it reduces the director to a content manufacturer and the viewer to an unadventurous consumer, is what Brett Ratner has called it, the destruction of our business. But insiders acknowledge that it has become a cru crucial arbiter. Publicists say their jobs revolve around the site. 
Uh, in the last 10 years, says one, it's become much more important as so many of the most trusted critics have retired without replacements. Studios are so scared of what the tomato meter might say that some work with the company called Screen Engine, which attempts to forecast scores. According to the studio, the predictions are very close, uh, says another publicist. Uh, I'll refer to these informers who ask for anim an an anonym anonymity shit to be anonymous to speak candidly. Um, numbers one and two, an indie distributor executive says, "I put in our original business plan that we should not do films that score less than eighty percent." Rotten Tomatoes is the only public stamp of approval that says this is of immense quality, and all critics agree. But despite Rotten Tomatoes' reputed importance, it's worth a reminder. Its math stinks. Scores are calculated by classifying each reviewer as either positive or negative and then dividing the number of positives by the total. That's the whole formula. Every reviewer carries the same weight, whether it runs on a major newspaper or a substack with a dozen subscribers. If a review straddles positive and negative, too bad. He says, I read some reviews of my own film where the writer might say, he doesn't think that I pulled something off, but boy, is it interesting in the way that I don't pull it off. To me, that's a good review, but it would count as negative on Rotten Tomatoes. There's also no accounting for enthusiasm. No attempt to distinguish between extremely and slightly positive or negative reviews. That means a film could score a perfect 100 with just passing grades. In the old days, if an independent film got all three-star reviews, that was like the kiss of death. But the Rotten Tomatoes, if you get all three-star reviews, it's fantastic. Another problem. I, I, I just thought of this analogy. It, it, it. It'd kind of be like if you, uh, you know, in high school, if you just passed all your classes, but, you know, you passed them with C's basically. But because you passed all of them, it would just uh, translate to an F for, or sorry, an A to your overall, like, uh, you know, graduation, which I mean, would be awesome for me personally. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily to be the proper way of telling whether or not you're a successful student. <laughs> And it says, um, that's a great point, though, Stuart, for sure. Uh, he says, another problem, and where the trickery often begins, is that Rotten Tomatoes scores are posted after a movie receives only a handful of reviews, sometimes as few as five, and even if those reviews may be an unrepresentative sample. Uh, this is sort of like a cable news network declaring an election night winner after a single county reports its results. <laughs> But studios see it as a feature since, with a little elbow grease, they can sometimes fool people into believing a movie is better than it is. Early reactions, anybody? That's what it feels like to me. Uh, here's how. When a studio is prepping the release of a new title, it will screen the film for critics in advance. It's a film publicist's job to organize these screenings and invite the writers they think will respond most positively. Then that publicist will set the movie review embargo in part so that its initial tomato meter score is as high as possible at the moment when it can have a maximal benefit for word of mouth and early ticket sales. Granted, that is not rocket science or even particularly new, but the strategy can be surprisingly effective on tentpole releases for which studios can leverage the growing universe of 
fan fan run websites whose critics are generally more admiring of comic book movies than those who write for mainstream outlets. Uh, for example, in February, the tomato meter score of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, debuted at 79% based off of its first batch of reviews. And mind you, I'm just going to insert this. Had we told people about the early reactions, this movie got 79%. Everybody's saying this movie's good, y'all. Y'all got to go see this. Days later, after more critics weighed in, though, that rating sank into the 40s. But the gambit may have worked. Quantumania had the best opening weekend of any movie in the Ant-Man series, $106 million. And its second weekend, with its rottenness more firmly established, it the film's growth slid almost 70%, the steepest drop-off in Marvel history. Um, so, guys... I think this is a perfect example. In the state's defense, in the studio's defense, Rotten Tomatoes' hastiness in computing its scores has made it particularly necessary to cork one's bat. In a strategic blunder in May, Disney held the first screenings of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the world's snootiest film festival, Canes, from which the first 12 reviews gave the initial score of 33%. So they messed up, right? They uh, took it to Canes. People watched it. And that early review opportunity window had them bombing this movie at 33%. What they, what they should have done, says one of the publicists, was have simultaneous screenings in the States for critics who might have been more friendly. A month and a half later, Dial of Destiny bombed at the box office, even though friendly critics eventually lifted its rating to 69%. They had a low ratings tomato score just sitting out there for six weeks before release, and that was deadly. So, look, this this article goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it can show you the idea of just how much um, this system can be rigged. Um, maybe not necessarily by the heads of Rotten Tomato, right? But they have put in place a system in which other studios, if you play your cards right, according to these publicists, can either utilize these scores to their benefit or their detriment, um, and sometimes even pay critics to certainly give them more positive reinforcement for their movies. Um, so, you know, look, honestly, when I see this type of stuff, it's like, while I I appreciate, especially maybe on the audience side, a little bit more than others, maybe the audience score itself. I don't know how I can personally look at Rotten Tomatoes with this with the straight face and see some of these scores and find them uh, trustworthy, if you will. Um, you know, I, I we always tell people here, Stuart and Indy, at the end of the day. Who cares what these ratings are, right? Like if there's a movie that you want to see, I don't care if it's a pundit or an influencer that you listen to and they tell you the movie's bad or the movie is good. We always emphasize, go see the movie for yourself. You be the judge of it. Regardless if the movie makes money at the box office, regardless if people say this is a great or shitty movie, you should go see this movie. And the fact that now we're learning even more about how Rotten Tomatoes works um, it just feels like it's just another way that people can play the system to just influence the public to go see a movie that maybe might be pretty shitty. But at the end of the day, they are worried about their bottom dollar and want to make um, as much money as possible. So it's like, can I really even trust 
some of these um, reviews at the end of the day, but it does go to show you just how, I don't want to say weakened, but how much the idea of movie critics and things have changed since the Siskel and Ebert days for sure. Um, what are your guys' summer thoughts on this? Yeah, I think um, I think I've made my, my opinion clear why I think like the overall like rating system just doesn't work when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes. But beyond that, uh, you know, some of the things that you kind of brought up too that can be used uh, super biasly in the ratings is like, you know, first looks. And I think, you know, even though Disney, I mm. do not agree when people try to say that Disney always pays their critics. I don't necessarily think they pay their critics. But that doesn't mean they don't necessarily bribe them in some way, shape or form. And I think, you know, when you give your critics like a really nice trip to L.A. and you let them like see this movie before anyone else. And then you also give them just like such an awesome time pretty much right before, you know, the build up to watching this movie. It, it, there's a good chance that critic is going to be a lot nicer to the review, even if they don't intend to be. Plus there's always like that excitement when it comes to first looks. And I think like the biggest one is like a uh, rise of Skywalker where the first day, like everyone was praising this movie. Um, and I think what happened is the hype just got to them. I don't think they actually like really saw the movie because, you know, the immediately like the next week, everyone's like, Oh yeah, this movie's really bad. <laughs> so I think I think that's like a, a a big thing that can play into it too. So I think like overall, what you know you should do is first of all, obviously, if you're interested in seeing a movie, you should just go see it and not let uh you know Rotten Tomato scores or any critics like tell you not to see it. But the other thing too is I think it's just better to find a critic or two that you are really fond of. Uh, and then just, you know, if, if you have similar tastes to them, then use them to uh, be your definitive factor on whether or not you want to see a movie. If you're, if you're, you know, on the fence about going to see a film, use a critic that, you know, you tend, you tend to agree with more because then it's likely if they like this movie, there's a good chance you're going to like it too, rather than just listening to an overall audience uh, consensus. Yeah. And I think we talked, when you talked about first reactions, uh, you know, it brings me back to something I think we mentioned here before. Like anybody would love the opportunity to be on the red carpet and go to a, like a premiere. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're invited to go out and you go, hey, we want you to come out and see this movie. You're going to be hyped. Like regardless of what the movie is like, your first reaction is going to be like, fuck yeah, I got a chance to see it. Got to see some stars possibly you walk past. You know what I'm saying? Like getting, you know, coming to these premieres and stuff, being presented early access. Yeah, man, there's always going to be a positive vibe that's just automatically instilled in you. And uh, whether or not that's part of their bargaining chip, who certainly knows? But um, I, I'm, that's why I'm one of the reasons why I'm always wary of first reactions um, just because of that. I'd rather wait until the movie's actually released and more people have had the opportunity to see it. Marcelino says, I thought the point of Rotten Tomatoes was to purposefully give lower scores and reviews to movies as a way to convince people to not overtly rely on the critics and just watch the movie for themselves uh yeah i don't think that was the initial point for rotten tomatoes but i see where you're coming from or even uh, if it was the initial point the problem is i feel like the way audiences have taken rotten tomatoes and have just kind of used it as a crutch uh i don't think rotten tomatoes themselves ever intended their site to be used that way i think it right. was just kind of supposed to be a fun hey let's see what most people think altogether type of thing yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and Nathan Moore says some YouTube critics give positive reviews so they continue to get access to early screenings, interviews, and to attend film premieres. Now, look, I, I will say I, I don't. That's definitely not all YouTube critics. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but I guess it just depends also how big your platform certainly is. Um, like, look, I, I consider myself a YouTube critic. Ain't nobody inviting me no place. Um, so I can tell you that much. Right now, we just don't have that that level of uh, of pull or anything like that. So I don't think all YouTube critics are certainly like that. 
but um, there's certainly a probably maybe a, 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 I'm sure there's probably a few of them out there, but definitely not all. So I wouldn't put them all together like that. Yeah. I mean, as an example, if you look at somebody like uh, Iman, uh, Iman uh, movie reviews, um, we may not agree. You know, I may not agree with his stances all the time, but uh, he definitely doesn't get favorable reviews to a lot of movies and he's still invited. You know what I'm saying? Some everywhere because of the following in the platform that he has. He's been on TV. He's done, you know what I'm saying, different things. But uh, he was one of the critics that was really against, you know what I'm saying, Wakanda forever. That that didn't stop them from inviting him out, you know what I'm saying, to another movie and stuff like that. The, the, the whole basis of giving your honest opinion is because when an opinion is heard, a lot of times if, this, if the studio is good, if the director is good, if the producer is good, they they hear your opinion and then they try to adjust, you know what I'm saying, to be able to make the movie better. Especially if it's a creative criticism, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think even if you do give a movie a negative review, I think studios would still be open to the idea of inviting you to these things based off of what your criticisms were, right? Like, if they if it wasn't well thought out, if it's just bashing and things like that, then may, maybe not favorable enough to be invited. But if you are negative towards something that they've created, if you can eloquently express it uh, from a creative point of view, then I'm pretty sure that they probably would uh, in, invite you out for sure. Definitely. I, I'd be curious what what um ain't nobody gotta check this up. I'd be curious like to compare the rotten tomato score of like a cocaine bear and like Ant-Man. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody expected cocaine bear to be good, which it wasn't, but it was an entertaining film. But you know what I'm saying? It wasn't something it's something that I remember everybody talking about, like, oh my god, you know what I'm saying? It's getting good reviews and ratings and stuff like that. How? How was it? You know what I'm saying? When when Ant-Man was getting bombed after the second week and Ant-Man wasn't a bad movie at all. You know, it just wasn't what people wanted it to be. And, and that's the problem. People going to movies, wanting stuff, especially Disney or Marvel movies, wanting it to be one thing, get mad when it's not what they want it to be and then go and then bash and, you know, what I'm saying lower the score and stuff like that. And then there was nothing wrong with the movie at all. It just I wanted this person should have been in it. This person should have been in it. no. That wasn't their vision. That was your expectation as two totally different things. Yeah. And I do think the argument of uh, YouTube creators give more positive reviews so that they can continue to get access again. I, I do think maybe some of them do, but I wouldn't lump everybody into that. And it, sometimes I do think that it's um, uh, it's just an excuse that I think people use when critics that they listen to don't have the same opinions of uh of movies you know what i mean uh and as pushback like oh you probably got paid trust me you know you know many times i've heard the idea like oh lucasfilm must pay you just because i defend kathleen kennedy from time to time like i definitely am critical of her in certain certain ways uh but there are other things that i definitely do you know give credit where credit's due and i feel like when i do people are like oh they probably are paying you i'm like bro i don't even have that type of sway you know but it's just the idea of people don't agree with you and so they just think you're automatically getting paid by the, the company it's like no it just it don't work that way bro if if kathleen kennedy paid adam all Shit. of our back all of our backgrounds will look like adams Shit. right now oh yeah, yeah we, <laughs> i mean i might be on like the uh the volume studio set you know what i'm saying put me in california 
give me like some Lucasfilm special effects and VFX behind my green screen, then you'll probably know I'm getting paid by Kathleen yeah, Kennedy. Everything but, uh, being everything being done in Stewart's time zone, so he's happy he doesn't have to wake up earlier than everybody else. <laughs> just like imagine like all of us just like suddenly having like the most expensive studio set up and all this because we uh, decided to give a Star Wars movie a good <laughs> review. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, we probably uh, encouraged 10 people to go see it. <laughs> yeah, Lucasfilm, if, uh, if we're in your pocket, you got to pay yeah. us more. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Disney, Ahsoka is the best thing on television. There's nothing Nothing better than it right now. Everything needs to be like Exoka. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need that. Uh, we need that monetization, y'all. All right. Um, but yeah, let us know your thoughts, man. Um, how does this article make you feel about Rotten Tomatoes? Um, do you still find it trustworthy? Uh, is it still going to be a reliable source for you? Um, or do you have other options that you go out and check out your reviews or get your scores from? Again, I always push forward um, Cinema Score. You might have to wait a little bit longer than that, but um, I always would go with Cinema Score and I would just say be wary of first reactions. Uh, but yeah, some um, pretty eye-opening stuff there. Yes. Oh, to- I'm not muted. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you scared the fuck out of me, bro. You scared the. What was? Did somebody score a touchdown? Are you watching football right now? Yeah, I'm watching the Colts game while we're doing this. I'm multitasking. I got two screens. Yo, oh, that's hilarious. I'm I'm sure half of our audience just shit their pants. Um, <laughs> yeah, you freaked me out, bro. All right, with that out of the way. We will move on to our next topic. We got two more topics left, and then we're going to get into your live viewer questions. Um, Let's get into some movie talk here because I've been waiting anxiously and patiently for more Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I felt like I don't remember the last time we had one, um, but it felt rather promising to me. Um, But I don't necessarily know if it was received extremely well. And then we just haven't heard anything from Pirates of the Caribbean for quite some time. I want to say within the past year or two, though, there might certainly have been rumblings of uh, new films being made, a possible reboot. Uh, I think there was talks um, once of um, either Vanessa Kirby or somebody else being attached to uh, oh Margot Robbie, I believe it was, being attached to a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, maybe the idea of a second one, having a script that was kind of being prepared. So who knows what the final result is going to be of Pirates of the Caribbean. And with these strikes that are currently happening, it may be a little bit longer before we get any concrete evidence. But this week, the last of us showrunner, Craig Mazin himself, otherwise most notably known for his time working on Chernobyl, another fantastic HBO Max series, is now talking about the idea that he might be working on a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, And this definitely opened up my eyes some as I personally am really ready for another pirate adventure. Uh, This one comes to us from comingsoon.net saying, uh, The Last of Us showrunner developing a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, Let's go ahead and break this one down, shall we? Um, This one says, it says, in a recent interview with Los Angeles Times, The Last of Us co-creator and showrunner Craig Mazin revealed that before the strike, he had been developing a brand new Pirates of the Caribbean movie with the original franchise's scribe, Ted Elliott. Mazin confirmed that Disney liked Elliott's script for the Untitled Project, which was unexpected because the story they made was too weird, is what they refer to it as. This is what he said. We pitched it and thought there's no way they're buying it. It's too weird. And they did. 
um, is what Mazin said. And then he wrote a fantastic script and the strike happened and everyone's waiting around. It says it's currently unclear if Mazin's project was one of the two movies that Pirates of the Caribbean producer Jerry Brockheimer previously teased or if it's an entirely new project. One of them is the Margot Robbie-led movie, which was previously thought to be canceled. Um, Brockheimer says, uh, we have a very good script. We developed two of them, the one with Margot Robbie and one with the younger cast. The Margot Robbie one needs a little bit more work. The younger cast one is close. Hopefully, we'll get both of them. Uh, so Jerry Brockheimer teases the idea of two Pirates of the Caribbean movies potentially being made. And here we have The Last of Us showrunner Craig Mazin saying um, they've, he's teamed up with the original franchise scribe Ted Elliott. Uh, and they have a script that Disney is um, pretty on board with, despite him uh, apparently thinking the, the script was a little bit too weird. But you know what, Stuart? At this point, I feel like, for me at least, uh, Craig Mazin could just do no wrong. Um, I've absolutely loved his work on Chernobyl. Uh, I think he's got a great eye for storytelling. Uh, what he's been able to do with The Last of Us creator and Neil Drunkman and bringing The Last of Us to life. Uh, I'm pretty sure probably scoring some Emmy wins or nominations at least. Um, if Craig Mazin is touching it, I honestly believe big things are definitely possible of happening. And so considering what Craig Mazin has done with his work, and then you bring the original writer, um, what was his name? Ted something? Uh, Ted Elliott, um, that also tackled the first a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I think many people will say that's probably still the best of the Pirate of the Caribbean movies. You put these two together, give it to me, man. Give it to me. Um, I'm hoping that it's either the Margot Robbie one or this secondary one with the younger cast that's being teased by Jerry Brockheimer. But who knows? Maybe this is a completely different Pirates of the Caribbean project. Um, but I do expect hopefully after these strikes, Disney will figure it out. But when they say it's a little bit too weird, I'm open to it. I, I like the idea of a swashbuckling sort of adventure on the sea um, that can be a little bit weird and different. I think the later uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies kind of delved into that a little bit more, if you will. Um, I wouldn't mind that so much as long as the script itself is strong. But again, considering the two scribes that are attached to this, um, it definitely gives me confidence that they certainly might have something here. Um, but hopefully we'll get more um, information as we get a little bit closer. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I I think this is a win based off just the creatives alone. Uh, but Indy, let me go to you first here. The Last of Us showrunner working with the original Pirates of the Caribbean scribe, Ted Elliott saying they got a Pirates movie in development. Um, anticipated for this? Um, looking forward to it? What are your thoughts? Anticipated if in some way Johnny Depp is involved because I still feel that he was uh, misjudged and, you know, losing his role, you know what I'm saying, in that because of what happened was, was not cool. So even if it's a cameo role or something that sets up another movie i really think he needs to be involved i but like you i was excited for the margot robbie led uh pirates and you know me i'm not even a fan of margot robbie but the her personality you know what i'm saying in that world it i i feel that she fits it you know what i'm saying so flipping well like uh a, i was not one of the people that liked her character harley quinn but I really feel like her character, Harley Quinn, fits like a female type 
you know what I'm saying, uh, Jack Sparrow, you know what I'm saying, S mm. person, you know, in that universe. So I was kind of upset when you heard nothing else come from that because the Pirates world was something that I felt like it was more to explore than just where we've been. Like the world is bigger than just what <clears throat> coincides around Jack Sparrow, you know what I'm saying, and the Black Pearl. So I was interested to see how they expanded on that uh i'm excited about this i'm a the the pirates franchise is uh probably one of my top maybe five trilogies as far as if you have to go three movies mm -hmm. and so i'm interested in seeing if it can be revitalized um because hey that was some good going to the movies like with friends you know what i'm saying time or or sitting at home introducing somebody to you know what i'm saying something on the screen like i want to get back to things being like pre-covid with that remember when you used to get with a, a series would come there's that one series that you would just go like you and your friends come together and you just go watch those movies you know what i'm saying that that's what i want to get back to and i'd be very interested in seeing uh what happened it, it was the same way with um the first in the in the not the prequel but the sequel in the in, um force awakens you know what i'm saying that feeling when everybody got together and when it saw force awakens that's the feeling that i got when i went and saw the first like the first two pirates i, I want to get back to that and i feel like it's something that could actually help revitalize what's going on you know what i'm saying at these movies and with that said why this is on my head i'm gonna bring these guys up to you later we have to take a trip uh out east like the three of us because I, I would love to go see a movie at Kevin Smith's theater. Yeah. And, and like and like review something new. You know what I'm saying? And He's got like a theater. That. Yeah, he owns he owns his own theater now. Where's that? Out, out east. Um in his hometown. I don't I don't really I don't know where it's in, uh, it's uh over by I think it's in the same town as uh Jane Silent Bob's uh, secret stash, the yeah. uh, comic book store. Yeah, and then he runs all types of stuff there. I would like this would be the perfect mod castle. Is that it? Smod yeah, castle. Smod castle. It, it'd be interesting for something like this. Let's say this power movie goes comes out. You know what I'm saying? And then, luckily, if our um, platform is big enough, we could actually get an invite or something. You know what I'm saying? To go and and that that would be that would be really really cool for us to start doing that like maybe one yeah kevin year. smith if you um if you you know if you uh send us a little money maybe we'll give your movies a positive uh bump up you know what i'm saying <laughs> basically or once <laughs> once a year maybe we could just pop up in each other's town you know what i'm saying like alternate hey and yeah. see a movie you know what i'm saying and review it i think that'd be pretty dope i'd definitely yeah. be down yeah that'd be pretty awesome um but yeah no i agree with you and like for me i'm trying to remember like when the last pirate movies i saw in theaters was but um I'm, you know, I think Pirates does bring does bring a pretty different energy to the movie theaters that I personally would like to see again. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, though, Stuart? Um, Craig Mazin possibly um, teaming up with the original scribe here for a new um, Pirates movie. You trust Craig Mazin to do a pretty good job here? What would your level of anticipation be? Yeah, I think with him behind it, it would be I would love to see uh, what he would bring to the Pirates franchise. Um, hearing him saying that it, it might have been too that they thought it was going to be too weird. Um, very curious what he means by that, because this franchise, I feel like immediately jumped the shark in the second movie. <laughs> like, not that it wasn't already weird in the first movie, but like, I don't know what once you got to the point of introducing Davy Jones and his uh, crew of like sea pirates. It's like, I don't think it, it could get any weirder than that. I think you just kind of like you know already went for the weirdest thing you could um 
And uh, yeah, I, I would love to see what he brings to the uh, franchise. To me personally, I haven't really loved a Pirates movie since uh, the first one. Like I thought uh, two and three were fun movies, but uh, none of the Pirates movies have ever given me like a, a feeling quite like the first movie uh, had. Just there was just something about that first movie that really, really gripped me. And I haven't been gripped by a Pirates movie since then, unfortunately. No, I agree with you, man. Um, I don't know if it was the... I don't know what the latest Pirates movie was, if that was the fourth one or if it was a fifth one. I think it was I've, the uh, fifth one. It was the one with um, um, the dude that plays Nightwing in uh, Titans. Yes. Um, um, Benton Thwaites. Brent, yeah. Brendan Brandon Thwaites. Uh, yeah, Brandon Thwaites. Thwaites or something like Thwaites that. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought he was pretty good in it. I think he played didn't you play William Turner's son or yeah. something like that? Um, so I thought it was actually pretty good, but I would agree with you. The first one definitely gripped me. Um, the, and then while the other ones I, I appreciate, you know, I, I appreciate less as they go on. It really was the fifth one that I was like, oh, it felt like a little bit of a fresher take still with Johnny Depp, but um, an interesting one to say the least. So I do think that there is uh, more mileage for this franchise. Um, so we'll see where it goes, but we'll definitely keep you guys posted. Uh, once the strike and everything happens, I'm sure we'll get further details in this, um, but I'm loving the writer combination here. So I, I hope the script um, does see the light of day. Yeah, same here. Uh, Marcelino says Johnny Depp said that he felt him. He was being typecast as Jack Sparrow and agreed to do one more. Wouldn't be surprised if he secretly thought that getting fired from Disney was a blessing in disguise. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they still bring him back eventually. Um, mm -hmm. But we'll see. Yeah, um, I don't think getting fired is necessarily a permanent thing. I mean, look what happened to James Gunn. Yeah, I, I, I also sure. think that right now. Uh, considering the movies that uh, Depp did afterwards and how they did, um, he'd be chomping at the bit to be back as Jack Sparrow. Yeah, um, you know, because similar, similarly to um, probably how Robbie Downey Jr. feels about the Tony Stark thing. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. hmm, maybe I shouldn't have <laughs> left that role. <laughs> and um, let's, um, with that out of the way, though, let us move to our next uh, topic for the day. And this is going to be our last topic also. Um, Lionsgate is in the news along with the Crow reboot. Uh, we've been wondering when this movie was going to be made. Uh, clearly, the strike has not helped anything. Um, but there definitely are some moving pieces that are happening behind the scene. Uh, it feels very much as though this film might um, already be um, in the can or at least filmed um, but let's go ahead and dive into this because we do have new information for the crow reboot here um, let me see if i can bring this up here uh, this is going to come to us from deadline.com uh, letting us know that the crow reboot with bill skarsgård and fka twigs flies to Lionsgate in an eight figure domestic deal uh, it says exclusive Lionsgate has just tied up an eight-figure deal for the domestic rights to the Crow reboot. Bill Skarsgård, along with singer-songwriter FKA Twigs uh, and Danny Huston, um, led 
Rupert Sanders uh, reimagining of the 1994 cult classic uh, that eventually that uh, used um, that memorably starred Brandon Lee in its final role in the original um, revenge thriller. A man who is brutally murdered comes back to life as an under as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's death. Both movies are based on the graphic novel of the uh, gothic character created by James O'Barr. It says. Um, Media Finance handled the deal for the film's domestic rights. Um, it was oversaw on behalf of Lionsgate uh, and with the pact finalized late Wednesday night. The movie is expected to release next year. The script for the reboot comes from Oscar nominee Zach Balin, who did King Richard and Will Schneider. Um, so, yeah, this is a $50 million the 50 million dollar budget film was shot on location in prague and munich uh international sales are handled by film nation uh, which already closed that deal internationally but it looks like domestically at least lionsgate picked it up here um and yeah so um big pickup uh, you know i look I, for me I, I don't know i'm not going to say too much on this but i like lionsgate as a company I think they pop out pretty good material i think they have a pretty good eye for good content uh, and so if they picked it up here for a domestic distribution, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, who doesn't love Bill Skarsgård? And if anything, I, I would like to see him channel his inner Brandon Lee and really bring this character uh, back to life once again. Um, so, yeah, uh, good news uh, to know that we're going to get it here in the States. Uh, any other thoughts on this one, guys? I mean, I love the uh, first Crow movie, uh, so I think Bill Skarsgård is a perfect choice to take up the role of the Crow. Uh, I, I genuinely don't think they could have gotten a better one. Uh, what's great about this, too, is uh, I, I'm, I mean, it sounds like it's not going to be a because they say uh, eight-figure domestic deal, so I'm assuming this is going to be a high-budget movie, but I'm saying if they didn't, if they decided they wanted to kind of uh, ease up on the budget, the Crow is like kind of the perfect like action movie where you don't need necessarily the biggest budget to do because i don't think the first crow movie was that expensive and it still looked absolutely incredible so um yeah i i'm excited i'm very curious to see uh how how this is going to look visually like with you know modern tech compared to the original and before i get to you indy if you have any thoughts on this i will say i i kind of hope todd mcfarlane is watching closely uh, in regards to um, the Crow movie, uh, especially if the budget is going to end up being low, because I do think um, just based off of who the Crow character is, the aesthetics, the type of uh, tone that this movie is going to be, if um, if Spawn is looking to come in and not be a big blockbuster budgeted sort of superhero movie, uh, I do think that, you know, uh, from a um, budget standpoint and just a aesthetic standpoint, uh, I think hopefully Tom McFarlane is looking very closely as to how the crow is getting put together. Um, any thoughts on this though, um, Indy, with Lionsgate um, picking I'm, up the rights? I'm, I'm definitely for this, especially with the casting. Um, the whole Jason Momoa being offered the role, I think, would have been the wrong way to go because at the time, Jason Momoa was the the popular guy. You know what I'm saying in the room, and, and I, I've always said that if you're gonna do a reboot, um, to honor the reboot, make sure you have. And this is no knock at Jason Momoa; he does what he does well, but please have the acting chops in order to back up a role like this. Uh, Brandon Lee was not the greatest actor, but the energy and emotion that he put into the role is what paved the way for that. 
if he was still, let's say if he was still here and you take that movie and you make it now, it's probably not something, it's probably not something that would, that would stick. You know what I'm saying? Because now you have to be able, I feel more like you have to be able to act the part and, and it, and it look, if you want, I feel like if you want to make something like a Crow reboot, be good. Uh, whoever's directing the movie needs to watch a lot of Sin City. Like, like go go back and watch Sin City and and watch that series. Get that vibe because that that's the feeling I feel that a Crow reboot needs to have in order to be good and separate itself from the original. You know what I'm saying? You have to understand the world that you're in, not necessarily have the aesthetics or the look of Sin City, but have the the passion and the drive. You know what I'm saying? That 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 movie did because it looked incredible. But it was the acting and the passion that actually made that movie, you know what I'm saying, what it was. And, and that's what we need to get to. And or don't make the Crow reboot and just reboot the Giver instead. <laughs> He's still pushing for that Giver, man. Um, yeah, maybe hopefully one day uh, we'll we'll get more of Giver. I'm open for it. And give me a Mark Hamill cameo in that Giver mm -hmm. movie eventually if we get one. And put him on the front cover so you falsely advertise him as the main character. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, guys, let us know your thoughts. Uh, the Crow reboot, uh, Nathan says, not needed, but we'll see. Um, but uh, we'll see how the character fits in today's day and age. And Marcelino does a fun fact before passing, Tui Trang uh, was in one of the Crow movies. I did not know that. For those of you who don't know who Tui Trang is, she was the original Yellow Ranger from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series that um, passed away years ago, unfortunately. Um, I didn't know I she was in that movie. I think it was the uh, third one. Uh, it, it was the one uh, City of Angels. Okay, I think that was the second, but maybe I'm tripping. I don't remember. Uh, I haven't kept up with them like that. But, um, yeah, guys, let us know your thoughts in regards to Lionsgate picking up the domestic rights uh, for um, the Crow reboot. Um, are you eager to see what they come up with? Um, is this not a film that you're anticipating or looking forward to? Definitely go ahead and let me know. Um, Melissa Benoist says, um, Brandon Lee worked his butt off during the original and very unfortunate. His passing was caused during filming. Yeah, it was uh, very unfortunate, man. Very sad day for sure. Um, all right, guys. Um, I think that will wrap up all of our main topics today. And so I think you guys know what time it is. And now everybody, it is time for live viewer questions, questions, questions. And uh, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get into these live viewer questions. Again, you guys can go ahead and submit your questions. Um, all you got to do is go over to our YouTube page, as you see here. Click on that uh, community tab. Uh, usually towards the end of the week, uh, sometime after Thursday, we will go ahead and post a live viewer question post right here. Uh, and then you can go ahead and submit your questions down below. Uh, whatever we questions we don't get to, uh, we'll try and answer them all live. But whatever questions we don't get to, we'll go ahead and put into a separate live video for you guys. Uh, let's get some uh, smooth sounds and some smooth music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Marcelino. Oh my God, Marcelino. These questions, man. Why gotta be so long? <laughs> uh, I read that time. Remember that time I asked you to name me several scenarios 
where a celebrity was being toxic towards a fan you couldn't name any well here are some cases i thought he i thought he brought this up before since whether you agree or disagree with me um david harbour yeah i think he brought this up with examples last time David Harbour blamed the fans for Hellboy 2019 bombing at the office, thinking they hated it because it wasn't Gil Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy when there were other factors. Ariana Grande once licked donuts without paying them and said she hates America. I don't know if you remember that. Early in his career, Justin Bieber would threaten to smash people's phones during his concert and once grabbed someone's phone and shoved it down the person's pants. Bieber also committed several crimes that got him banned from the U.S., which involved being a minor during driving under the influence. M Mindy C Colleen wanted Scooby-Doo fandom to know that she hates the franchise just so people could hate watch Velma. Is that true is, or is that just something you're just assuming? I don't know if she did she really say that. So it could be uh, on a success on Max while promoting Indian stereotypes. I mean, is that true, bro? Or are you just making this up? Um, and then uh, during the red carpet run of their film, Sex Tape, Jason Siegel and Cameron Diaz were rude to fans with fans asking for their autographs. Uh, and Cameron Diaz replied, if I did it for you, I'd have to do it for everyone. Well, I mean, that's true, though. And when Jason Siegel was approached by a fan for an autograph, he said no and slammed uh, the car door right in front of the fan. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres was toxic towards her co-workers. Um, yeah, I have heard of that story also. Um, Sandra Bullock once yelled at a fan in a wheelchair-bound veteran who was just asking for an autograph. If you want to know more, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do all the research on all this. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. What do you guys think? I mean, I think uh, the thing is, celebrities are human beings just like us. I know it's really hard to believe at times. And like us humans, they uh, slip up every now and then. And some of these cases, I'm going to be honest, like I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't really say take sides on because I, I'm not in their shoes. I don't know what it's like to like constantly have fans pestering you. So I know that we'll see like a video where it's like someone seemingly being polite about it, being like, hey, can I have an autograph? And then that celebrity being like, fuck off or something like that. But but some of the times there's context missing like That's that right. can yeah exactly where like that fan might have been like uh pestering them for a while uh you know before the celebrity finally snapped and all you saw was the part where the celebrity snapped you know you missed everything that happened before <laughs> i'm not saying that is the case but i'm saying that is likely the case with lottie so when it comes to this kind of stuff it's just i try not to judge too harshly because it's like i don't know what it's like to be in their shoes um there there are some times you know like I said, if, if a celebrity kind of goes out of their way just to shit on their fans uh, when their fans didn't provoke it, then yeah, I will not defend that in any way, shape, or form. That is not never called for. I also do think that if you can show me that, like, you know, something happened where, like, someone was just politely, oh, can I get an autograph? And rather than just saying no, they yelled at the fan for that. Then again, that's also something I won't defend. I'll say that's very uncalled for. Yeah, I mean, you did put in some links here, and uh, maybe we'll eventually we'll get to checking out the links. I'm just not going to do that live right now. Um, mm -hmm. Bro, look, like Dragon said in his uh, skit in the 2000s, wheelchair people can get it too. <laughs> um, <laughs> being in a wheelchair does not uh give you any rights to autograph handicapped veteran anything like that a lot of times people don't understand that travel time or time with the families i mean come on now we, we had eminem shout this out in the way that i am you know what i'm saying 
Mm-hmm. Uh, leave them alone if they're not wanting to be touched. Just because, just because they entertain you, does not give you access to them in their personal lives when they're traveling or not. If you decide you don't want to support that person or support their content after that, you know what I'm saying. That's on you. But nothing that they do, uh, you know what I'm saying, credits you to having to be able to invade their personal life, whether they're traveling, whether you see them out. They're just trying to be normal, you know what I'm saying? And them acting or any type of thing that they do is their job. That's what they do in order to get paid. Being special to you is not part. It could be a compliment because that's how the person is. That that's towards the person, but they don't owe you anything. The the Justin Bieber thing, okay. Bieber was driving under the influence underage. Um, it's about yeah, uh, you could throw a rock and you know what i'm saying hit a kid that has been driving you know what i'm saying <laughs> underage you know what i'm saying under the influence the only reason people care about it right now or because you stated it is because it's justin bieber the 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 phone thing look bro uh don't record me if i don't want to be recorded if you're a normal person and you say don't record me i mean i i i was literally at the mall the other day and somebody was recording somebody for a skit and the dude walked up and punched him in the mouth <laughs> you know what i'm saying it, you know why it wasn't news because the person that punched him in the mouth wasn't famous you know what i'm saying mall security just put them both out the mall and it was done the only reason any of this stuff is news is because they are quote unquote famous and in the spotlight if any of them were just normal people none of that stuff would be publicized it's because it's newsworthy because somebody cares and because we go oh so and so did this the the people that are putting it out there whether on their social media uh sometimes tmz or something like that it's going to earn them clicks because people care about those people because they're famous you know what i'm saying they're people people make mistakes get over it a lot of those people have changed their lives now and done more for people in the situation than any of us have done all we're doing is posting stuff and talking about it but nobody's trying to fix the situation um and i would just say um Especially with topics like this, um, you know, if you can keep it to maybe like one particular story, um, you know, if you've got links with evidence or something like that, that's fine. But, you know, when you're putting in like five or six different scenarios, it can't necessarily address everyone just because I'm really out of the loop on a lot of them. Um, so if, um, if you are going to ask questions like that, just keep it to one particular story, um, maybe something a little bit easier for us to digest and, and track. But I uh, always appreciate it, Marcelino uh peg c um do you think there is a chance amy joe johnson makes a cameo in cosmic fury as a special as a surprise since cosmic fury is the last season of the power rangers as we know it um i i don't i don't i mean i think the fact that she didn't come back for once and always it, look if you're gonna come back for once and always why would you come back for cosmic fury uh i think her um i think her providing towards power rangers 30th anniversary is in the form of her writing with her boyfriend for boom studios in regards to that comic book that she's putting together but outside of that um i don't expect any cameos from amy joe johnson this season um you guys think so or no i'm I'm gonna put it like like this if you guys want amy joe johnson to to cameo and stuff go buy that comic Make, make, oh, go yeah. make that, go mm-hmm. make that comic one of the best selling comics of the year and I guarantee you she rewards you you know what I'm saying for, for helping her for showing her that you guys really want to see her you know what I'm saying everything like that and I guarantee you she shows up but if you're not supporting the people's outside interests do you really want 
her to show up because you love her or do you just want to show up because it's nostalgia reasons you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying so like if you show people the support and and make it so if y'all go buy this book or y'all go download her music or or y'all go do whatever you make it to a point where like she has no choice but to show up because it's the power ranger fandom that's putting her you know what i'm saying at on this pedestal and and helping her out you know what i'm saying her life outside of power rangers then she'll come rewards you that's the reason why you saw people like jdf you know what i'm saying all that showing up all the time because of the love that you guys showed him but 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 to me from what i see and i'm on the outside looking in i'm a fan but i'm not a fan like you guys are you know what i'm saying i enjoy the content i i i do have nostalgic moments but I step away from it, but I do see her not getting as much out of it. You know what I'm saying? As a lot of other people do. So I, I feel like if, every, if, if even people watch the podcast, if everybody go buy a copy of it, you know what I'm saying? Or, or if you buy a copy, you want a friend check out, get, get, give the copy to the friend. You'll see a change in, in, in the way she does stuff. Um, and um, if anything, I will say he also asks, and what do you think of the Lightning Collection leaks of the of Tommy's Master Morpher? He does provide uh, a I, link to it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I just checked it out. Um, I think it looks really sick. And if the price is correct, uh, right now they're saying it's uh, estimated to cost seventy nine dollars. Uh, I definitely think it's uh, worth the price. Uh, looks pretty much to be equal if not better quality than the one that was produced by uh uh who is not hasbro uh bandai yeah mm. yeah it looks like there's some photos here yeah i kind of dig it what do you think um indy is that all the pictures i'm sorry it was a strip fumble for a touchdown I got, I got <laughs> oh you guys got it. okay okay gotcha gotcha <laughs> no um i like it i'm not looking forward to it because i already know i'm not gonna be able to get my hands on it so this is why I hate stuff like this because <laughs> you, you guys know I got a lot of uh I got a lot of Honestly. Tommy, I got mm-hmm. a lot of uh Zach, and I got a lot of Adam, you know what I'm saying, memorabilia because those are my favorite Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, but stuff like this, I know I'm not gonna be able to get unless I'm gonna come out four hundred dollars out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. And because he passed away, we're probably talking six, seven hundred dollars because we already know they're not gonna flood the market with it. It's oh, not yeah, going to be enough for everybody. So yeah. I'm I'm more upset that I'm not going to be able to get a Master Morphin than anything. I feel you there. Um, Marcelino says, let me ask you this. If there are scenarios where celebrities are being toxic towards fans, will you defend the fans and criticize the celebrities? Of course we will. I mean, I, we, we, never really, uh, we never really take one side to any story. I like to think I got three of us on here that have open minds that can give different opinions and um support you know either or so we'll definitely call it out if it's um necessary like um there is there was one recently uh megan was telling me about i wish i could remember who it was but it was like with a certain like uh pop singer and i guess uh like not only does she hate like like i guess it wasn't just the fact that she just kind of like said her fans have no lives, but it's the fact that she kind of was going out of her way trying to shut down every fan page there is of her. Uh, basically just 
seemingly being upset that there's a fan base for her in general. And so just from the little bits that uh, my girlfriend had shown me of her, yeah, I think that uh, with her kind of toxicity, you know, just uh, shitting on someone for being a fan of your work, that's like something I won't defend. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw a, a Doja Cat or something like that. Um, she was getting pissed at her fans for like calling, them, calling themselves kittens or some shit. Uh, they were calling themselves kittens and she like pushed back against the her fan base um uh, talking I, shit about them and i think she I, wound up losing a couple thousand uh yeah, followers I, I don't think yeah. she cares because she's gonna have enough problems when it comes out but i think it was the fact that she did something in order to prove a point mm-hmm. and then her fans went totally opposite of what her point was mm-hmm. so i think it, it, it was a reason the same reason she shaved all her hair and her eyebrows off you know what i'm saying because uh people were saying she was only successful because of how she looked mm, you know suppose. what i'm saying that she it wasn't prove a point she's like well i'll shave yeah hair. She, and then and then like she dressed up like a cat you know what i'm saying to, to prove a point about something and her fans started calling themselves kittens and she was like you guys just don't get it you know what i'm <laughs> saying type of deal like you have no idea who i am what i'm expressing and stuff like that you you only like my music you only like me because they're pushing me to be out there if they weren't pushing me to be out there you wouldn't like me but yes if it's justified, I would turn on the celebrities, you know what I'm saying, for the fans. But a lot of times, it's a bandwagon thing. And uh, like you said earlier, all the information isn't out. You know what I'm saying? And I, I do give the I do give I do give human beings the chance to be wrong, you know what I'm saying, in scenarios and, and to ask for forgiveness. It's been plenty of times that has happened. The Chris Brown thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's been plenty of things that have happened that have been wrong where they have repented and did what they needed to do in order to, you know what I'm saying, turn everything around. So right. I'm not going to be overly critical of either side, but nine times out of 10, it's normally the fandom that's wrong because it's something that they wanted that they didn't get. Uh, well, I, won't, I don't know if I would say nine, nine times out of ten, but you're, you are right in that regards. And uh, they're definitely we, we need the context to everything. Right. Um, not everything mm-hmm. gets reported at first. But again, we have no problem calling people out, fans or celebrities. So um, Melissa Benoist uh, loves bacon. Uh, the Zeo Powers. Uh, AJ says, am I, only, am I the only one that realized that Tommy was the only person to use the red Zeo Powers multiple times after Zeo? even though there were many moments where the Zeo powers could have been used again by Adam, Cat, or Rocky. Tommy was Zeo Ranger 5 and Forever Red and Dimensions in Danger. He even fought himself as Zeo Red in his coma during Dino Thunder. Like, is Tommy really the only person allowed to use the Zeo powers? Adam came back many times, but only as MMPR Black. Uh, does Saban really hate everyone in Zeo but JDF? The Zeo powers were never destroyed, just abandoned when the show went to Turbo. Uh, according to Johnny Young Bosch in interviews, the entire Turbo movie re- removed all parts of the Zeo powers being permanently destroyed. Um, so it would have been so cool if they actually came to fruition years later. It really is frustrating that Tommy was the only person to represent Zeo on multiple occasions. Uh, this problem gets even bigger when both Rocky, Cat, don't use the Zeo powers in Dimensions and Dangers. Instead, they morph into MMPR Red and Pink Turbo with no in-universe explanation. Um, that is interesting. I mean, I guess for me, I guess for me, I, I always go back to the idea that MMPR sells. 
And so if you did have Zeo powers, but you also had MMPR powers, then they're going to go with the MMPR powers all day, every day. In the case of like Rocky, I believe, and Cat, I don't think you want to overdo too much MMPR. So you give Rocky the red. The idea of um, maybe did um, Tommy turn into Zeo in Dimensions? Yeah, he turned into Dimensions and Dangerous. He did use Zeo. So that's probably why then Cat gets Turbo instead of Zeo. Um, I don't think Tommy's the only one that can change um, into Zeo. But I just think based off of the idea of you bringing in other people, you probably want to represent as many different Power Ranger teams and suits as possible. So that's probably why they went with that route. Um, so again, MMPR cells. And outside of that, um, if you already have a Zeo in the in the episode, that's probably why you go pink turbo. As far as like Johnny Young Bosch popping up in like uh, MMPR Black uh, in Operation Overdrive, MMPR cells, same reason. Um, so I think maybe if put in other positions, maybe we probably could have gotten more Zeo stuff. But I love Zeo, so I personally would have loved to have seen more of it. But what do you guys think? No, you, you hit the nail on the coffin with that. It, it's all like when it, when it comes to like the variety of Rangers, it's always like calculated to a degree. Like they usually want to go for one of each team. And it just so happened that with uh, Forever Red and Dimensions in Danger, just the easiest way to get one of each uh, Ranger team was to basically just have Tommy use the Zeo powers in both cases. Or I guess in Dimensions in Danger, he used the Mighty Morphin more often. But yeah, I think the, you know, I think it's like a mixture of that and then just, you know, them not like you said them wanting to go with the more recognizable suits i always think of though uh that funny quote from linkara because he had his whole series history of power rangers but when he reviews the turbo movie he has he goes on this huge rant about them ditching the zeo power saying that it makes no sense like the zeo powers are even more powerful than the turbo powers why'd they ditch them it's it's hilarious um but we do see the zeo powers though used in uh megaforce the final battle so technically you know other rangers have used it yeah absolutely um we also have jessica friedman here uh do you think superman and lois season four could get canceled if the strikes do not end soon and would you like to see once and always team show up in cosmic fury um i would like to see them pop up in cosmic fury but i don't think it's gonna happen if i remember properly uh while they were filming in cosmic while they were filming cosmic fear i think the once and always cast was already back in the states um if anything so i i don't expect them to pop up do you guys uh, expect anything different uh no i think they kind of made it clear that there's uh gonna be very little continuity between the two of them um right. i think simon bennett said that uh so i don't think we're gonna get any real crossover other than uh you know billy cranston being in uh, uh obviously in cosmic fury uh but yes i would like to if they were if they somehow would have been able to pull it off i would have loved to have seen that um indy do you think superman and lois season four could get canceled if the strikes do not end soon no i don't think it will um i think everybody knows how to how the strikes are going i don't think it's going to get canceled um i do believe the only way i see it not going is the strikes go on so long that the 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 actors want to move on to something else um so that that's one of the things that the the writers and the actors are trying to put pressure on the studios for 
is because look how long y'all gonna wait to put some of this high contact out because it's gonna cool off sooner or later mm. you know type deal so let's get this deal done so we can get back to you know what i'm saying making money but um I, I think a lot of other things are going to uh hurt more you know what i'm saying than that they already cut the budget they already moved everything to what they needed to be so i honestly feel like they felt like something was coming beforehand they were already prepping for this to start off with because you don't as as a studio you don't not know this is coming i feel like everybody knew this is coming beforehand a little bit and that's why you saw a lot of what was happening it wasn't just the acquisition that had that that particular show you know what i'm saying get stuff cut there, there was budgets being cut from everywhere that's why i feel like if you watch stuff like that you can tell when stuff like this is coming um we also got um uh, let me see the most talented man alive i suck my own balls uh he says cosmic fury speculation if you could speculate how would you like to see fern get herself into a situation right before she becomes the orange ranger um i don't know maybe it's a situation of like she's hanging out with izzy izzy gets attacked it's a really bad situation and fern is like desperate to try and help i'm i'm kind of curious does like an a cosmic orb just come down from the heavens like you have been chosen to help your girlfriend out i i don't i don't know does she like um do they discover something um as discover an orb but then get ambushed and the only person you know fern's looking at it like maybe i can help him and maybe she grabs it and then accepts powers and then helps save the team uh or is it something that's going to be presented to her like just because you're izzy's girlfriend you are an honorable member honorary member of cosmic fury and present her i don't i don't really know but i think there are several ways that it could happen you guys have any thoughts on how fern might uh, become part of the team I think she'll be given Izzy a surprise visit at the worst time possible. Uh, at the worst time possible? Yeah. It'll be <laughs> like, you know, oh, surprise, I'm in town right when, like, you know, Zed appears and he's, like, uh, about to attack. Definitely a possibility. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping it is uh, from revisiting from college. I wonder if she's going to be, like, right in the first episode or if she comes in a little bit later or not. Um, but we'll find out. Uh, one of the new promo pics of Cosmic Fury team, you see them wearing interesting disguises, mm. presumably on another planet. What if this was when the team learned Ollie went evil and they went to save him? Amelia's facial expressions look like she was very concerned. Yeah, she looks like she's pretty pissed off in that uh, for sure. Um, yeah, it's always a possibility. I am kind of curious as to what planet they're on. There's a lot of bone designs on those necklaces. If you look, bones, skeleton pieces. So I am kind of curious as to what this world and these disguises are. Uh, yeah, it kind of uh, reminds me of uh, the first episode of Power Rangers in space with uh, Andros kind of disguising himself in order uh, to infiltrate like uh, the main villains. Yeah, maybe it's an infiltration plot then that they have. Maybe they're trying to fit in yeah um that's probably a good idea that's probably a cool, good idea Stuart. um and then lastly blossom says you guys seen common rider gotchard yet if you haven't you should love trading cards and alchemy or two cool themes uh, for one cool toku series so mm. wish power rangers could do that uh, wait, I've got an idea. Remember the Waku Sabres can have battleizers for that since our adaption for Tokujers, their Rangers imagined by someone else. Um, that's interesting. 
Um, I didn't. I have not watched Common Rider Gotchard yet. Um, I think we maybe highlighted one image very early on, and I didn't really care for the costume design, so I was immediately kind of turned off. But um, I have not followed up with uh, any co anything Common Rider related in a minute. Um, what about you, Stuart or Indy? I don't know if you guys have checked out Gotchard or seen the designs for them. I'm looking at a couple clips from it right now. It does look pretty cool. Um, not yeah like you i'm not like huge on the costume it's not the worst but definitely uh not not my favorite compared to other common rider suits i've seen uh but you know it might be one i'd be interested in checking out i'm uh like i i have i'm still behind though because i haven't seen uh, any of revice and i also haven't seen uh i saw like maybe the first episode of um what was that one called goats or something like that the one that came after revice say geats or something geats? i don't yeah. i don't know i don't know uh, which Geats looked really, really cool. So I do want to get back to into that series at some point. Uh, just from that first episode, I was definitely hooked. Um, but yeah, so unfortunately, I haven't been able to see a blossom. But um, yeah, maybe um, Stuart will give it a further check out. Um, but I'm glad you're liking it. The idea of trading cards. I think that's it. Trading cards. I never really cared for trading cards. So the trading cards theme, not my thing. But Alchemy sounds pretty fun. Hey, it worked my for Common uh, uh, Rider, Ryuki, and uh, Dragon Knight. So, you know, I could see it working if again. They, if they can make a trading card, is it like the trading card thing where you have to like put mana into it, like Magic the Gathering? I can get all into that. If I got to have mana to cast a spell or to use a card, and then I have to, you know what I'm saying, distribute that. If, if there's some cost for me doing it, and I'm not just throwing cards out and having different powers nah I, I can't go for that but if there's a cost to doing it and they have to decide you know like they have to gamble and decide what they need to do uh -huh. that i can get into like i could see this working really well if if you're limited if you're a common writer who only has like uh let's say an hour in your base form and every power up you give basically takes away time from that i think that'd be kind of a fun mm. way to go with a uh, like a trading card uh theme uh you know around that i might be able to get behind that that sounds pretty cool yeah. and unique yeah um but uh yeah guys that will do it um marcelino says um common rider gotcha it sounds like Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Yu but uh oh, now, we're gonna, now we're gonna get flagged let, uh, oh, yeah. let us know uh let us know your guys's thoughts on gotchard if you've had the opportunity to see it but um thank you everybody for all of your live viewer questions today always appreciate when you guys um put in some great topics to certainly be discussed um but i think that will do it for our episode uh what's up little one a little my, mascot today this is my my granddaughter wow uh, adam's granddaughter I was, I was like, your granddaughter? Or yeah. my granddaughter? Yeah. yeah. She's got hair like you, but she's my granddaughter. Yeah, she, does. she does have hair like me, for sure. I think my son is going to have hair just like that, too. Um, seeing Noah's hair. Has she gotten a haircut at all since she's no. been born? No? Okay. No. All right. So I'm not tripping because my, my girlfriend's like, we should get his hair trimmed. I'm like, he's not even two years old yet. Don't touch those locks. Let, let those locks nah, grow. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You got to get that dude that's on TikTok to braid his hair in a couple of years. Oh, but, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. That one dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, no touching that baby's hair right now. Going to take his zap his power away like Samson. You know what I'm saying? He needs that. Uh, needs that power. Um, but yeah, guys, listen. We appreciate you certainly stopping by for another episode of A Plus Hero Report this weekend. Um, let's do some social media roll calls, Indy. If people need to find you on social media, man, where can they find you? As always, at A Plus Opinions, uh, right here, um, at A Plus Hero Report on YouTube. Make sure you like, subscribe, and hit that noti bell. That's all the YouTubers like saying. 
Um, but no, you can follow me at Nerd Mix Music and at Nerd Mix Alpha. Uh, stay in tune. There's a lot of new music coming. We had a very successful show in Joliet the other day, so nice. much so that they they're paying us to come back in October to do it again. So, um, guys, just stay tuned. There's a there's a lot of big stuff going on, and even some stuff that I got to talk to Adam and Stewart about in a second. Ooh, oh, awesome. a lot of yeah, we definitely do have a lot of stuff certainly going on, guys. If you haven't subscribed, please do yourselves a favor and do so. Uh, we are going to be implementing a little bit more wrestling to the page, also. Uh, myself and Dottila just recorded a Royal Rumble 1990 review, getting into some retro matches. We also have a special new guest uh, to the channel for you guys to meet. Um, so if anything, that probably will be dropping sometime tomorrow for you guys. Um, so we have been talking about expanding the wrestling side of things uh we might be trying to figure out a way to introduce character breakdown videos maybe in the future uh but there's always moving parts going on around here at a plus hero report going to get some business cards made as uh we start doing some conventions i go to another convention here at the end of october so i want to have some business cards ready uh so again all the support that you guys put towards the channel monetarily trust me when i say it definitely does grow to go, go towards growing our channel and expanding it but the only way that we can certainly do so is with your guys's continued support so thank you so much guys for continuing to come back each and every week uh and sharing these videos and talking about us to other people um Stuart, if people want to find you on social media if you have social media anymore <laughs> where can they find you you guys can find me at turbo stew 01 over on instagram uh, and of course, guys, if you want to follow us on social media right here at A Plus Opinions, very active on social media. Uh, we now even have a TikTok um, uh, that goes for you can find us at Hero Report there on our TikTok. Uh, we're also A Plus Hero Report on your audio stream. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your music. Uh, or get your audio podcast. A plus here report is certainly a place for you guys uh, and definitely check us out on other social medias as well. Um, but we definitely will be back next weekend for you guys. Um, so until then do us a big favor as always take care of yourselves, take care of each other and keep it a plus. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.